Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the LawCast. This time, we're going back to cover the beginning of the Diesel era. It's Royal Rumble 1995. Kyush, I have to imagine you were a little Dieseler back in 1995, right? Guys, I want you to listen to me about this. I was 10 years old when this show took place, and this was the center of my entire universe. Yes, I was a little Dieseler. I was super into Bret Hart. I was super into Razor Ramon. Didn't much care for Shawn Michaels. This was... Watching this was like reliving my favorite childhood memories. This is my favorite year of wrestling. It was the purest fandom I ever had before I was tainted by any cynicism whatsoever. Yeah, and you were the target audience at this point. Like that, you know, what, it's it's 8 to 12 years old was probably their target audience at this point, 8 to 13, whatever. Yeah, I definitely say that it was. Like you can tell what the whole presentation that it is. Like, it's just bright colors and, like, loud noises and a bunch of kid shit and dumb comedy. And, and that's fine. Going back and looking at it, like, I can see it through the eyes of when I was a kid because it is so aimed at that exact thing. Yeah. So we'll have a lot to talk about. But first, we've got to catch up with uh, the new year, 2024. Thankfully, not quite as newsy a week as we had last week, but still some big stuff going on. First, New Japan put on Wrestle Kingdom at the Tokyo Dome, and we've got a lot of news coming out of this one. Naito beat Sonata to become the IWGP champion. David Finley beat Will Ospreay and John Moxley to become the first IWGP global champion. Okada avenged his loss to Brian Danielson. And Nick Namath debuted in New Japan as he got into a fight with Finlay after his match. Did not see Dolph Ziggler going to New Japan come in. You know, we had been speculating, like, it's so obvious that Ziggler's going to go somewhere. And AEW almost feels too obvious. Yeah. And when he came out at Wrestle Kingdom, I, I, my very first reaction was, that's smart. Yeah. Because like if you really want to like rehab your image and show like I'm more than I was in WWE, following Moxley and doing it that way about go like let me go to the work rate heaviest place I can go. Yeah. Show them that I fuck I can fucking go with the best of them, and then I'll go and like cash my paycheck in AEW. You know what I mean? Let me get my credibility back first. I I respect that. Yeah, I think he's going to be immensely more valuable after doing a run in New Japan, and I'm definitely looking forward to seeing what he could do in the G1 Climax. When you think of the people that New Japan has just, like, laundered their reputation and then just immediately sent them on to some other place, like, it's just so funny. Like, like the Jonah guy who's in WWE right now who literally got, like, one match with Okada and immediately got a fat contract with WWE. Like, it just, it's the smart way to go, man. New Japan just washes you clean. And unfortunately, Matt Riddle has joined New Japan. He debuted on on the New Year's Dash show and challenged Tanahashi. Tanahashi hilariously responding, I don't know who you are, but okay. (laughs) (laughs) No one does except Dave Meltzer. We've been like bagging on Meltzer so hard for his like wild out of left field defenses of Riddle at all costs. And now to see Riddle show up in New Japan, oh boy. I am so fucking bitter, you guys. Like, That's a bummer. And, like, 
Part of it is that New Japan can be a little tone deaf, especially when these things happen in other countries. Sometimes they don't really know. Sometimes they don't really care. I'm not going to pretend like it's a perfect promotion. I think they don't care. Like, I think Rocky Romero knows about Matt Riddle. Yeah. And I think that that's just the case. Um, They were one of the last people still booking Marty Skrull until finally they stopped. Sure were. Look, like, New Japan does not have a great track record with that stuff until, like, but like their audience also doesn't care nearly as much as we do, unfortunately. Which is really saying something because I, I don't think American fans care very much about sexual assault either, to be honest. Yes, but at least we make way more noise about it. And fuck yeah. knows, it's just not the case there. So, yeah. uh, whatever, how many whatever they, do their fans even know? Like, I, I don't think they know who Matt Riddle is or that the, the stories about him have made their way over there. But that's the thing, too, is like this is kind of what bothers me is that if you're going to bring people into New Japan, like Nick Nemeth is a guy who they're going to recognize from WWE TV because he's been there for so fucking long, even though there was a great anecdote on Twitter that night during Wrestle Kingdom where somebody actually at the show was like, oh, fuck, it's Nick Nemeth. And two Japanese people tapped him on the shoulder and very politely asked, "Uh, who the fuck is that? Yeah. (laughs) That's like me anytime somebody from New Japan shows up in AEW. Yeah, just texting me like, uh, is that uh, Suzuki? Who is that? Is that <laughs> when, uh, was it Aussie Empire? Who was the new debut? Yeah, the yeah, Detroit yeah. Show? And I was like, like, who the fuck oh! are these guys? And then I'm like, wait, who was that? Story number two is Raw moving to Amazon Prime. That's what the Sports Business Journal predicts, and I don't know that outlet, but it sounds really credible. This is such an interesting thing that's going to cause major ripples throughout, maybe not just wrestling, but also just like TV rights in general, because Amazon Prime has been trying so hard to buy up real things. Yeah. Like, obviously, they got, like, Thursday Night Football. Like, there's some other stuff. That like, was the bit. That's their big score. Right. But they're not getting anything that's, like, basically just theirs. To get this would be a major, major coup for them. Because they don't have a lot of stuff that people feel like they have to watch on Prime. But, like, yeah. an audience will follow you to Prime if this is what you're taking. So, like, that that would be a huge get for them, I think. Definitely. Of course, Amazon has incredibly deep pockets, so they can afford to pay a massive rights fee. And this is also going to co- – I think as of this month, they're changing it so that Prime's default tier has ads in it. So yes. that's going to be a massive influx of cash, which – Amazingly, we're seeing, I think, basically at this point, every streaming service is putting ads in because they just are not sustainable without advertising revenue. Five years from now, when WWE like is up for its next renegotiations for rights fees, I just want to point out, we're just going to have cable again. I just yeah. whether or not any all these streaming services collapse and join together like cable did and that that's how it actually works, maybe. But, like, basically, it's going to be indistinguishable in terms of your viewing experience, except that you have to pay, like, $500 because everything costs 20 bucks each. Yeah, I mean, that's the I, – I don't – I'm not happy about this possibility. From WWE's perspective, I think it's bad in the long term because I just think you're going to struggle to grow your audience behind a paywall. And 
for you know the fans, like I just think this sucks to have more and more stuff that we want to watch, especially sports being on streaming services. We've got an NFL playoff game on Peacock this weekend. We've got, you know, Michigan, Michigan State basketball on Peacock in a couple weeks. Like as a sports fan to pay for cable and then to have to pay for streaming services on top of it to see the games you want to see just sucks. Yeah, I completely agree. As somebody who runs a sports bar and listens to people yell at oh, him about hell. this literally yeah. every single fucking day, it's it's a bad situation and it's not getting better. However, if I'm WWE and like if Amazon's going to shell out like seven hundred million dollars to get raw, I don't fucking care. Like, because at least you still have SmackDown. You're about to have NXT on the CW like you have other outlets to grow your audience through. And I, I, the temptation to be like, well, you already paid for this. So we're going to make that the fucking B show and load up SmackDown because that's the one that we actually need to get ratings for. Because the other thing, when you put it on a streaming service like that, does it really fucking matter how many people even watch it? I'm not sure that it does. I don't know. No one's <laughs> ever going to know. That's, that's the thing. thing. They're not going to track this. It's not going to be compared. Five years and the world has no idea like what kind of viewership you were doing on Amazon because they don't really report. They don't have to report those numbers. They do put out their NFL numbers. I feel, I feel like I've been seeing that like NFL yeah, just to show off. Yeah. It was up. It was up a lot this season from the first season. It improved. They improved a lot this second season, but yeah, still it's not like, you know, you're not getting a report every week on what viewership for raw was the way we do right now. The other difference <clears throat> with Amazon prime that's different from like your peacocks and your HBO maxes and stuff is that it's the only one of these services that a lot of people have but not for the video service. Like True. Prime is a thing that a lot of people have, but don't necessarily watch their entertainment properties yeah. just for like the free shipping Groceries, and all of that yeah. stuff. Yeah, all that stuff. So like, there's a massive potential audience at any given time that they're just trying to hook in with the Lord of the Rings or this or whatever it is. And so like, just bringing those people over is just a gigantic potential thing. If for them, it doesn't mean anything to just throw $700 million, which is fucking a drop in the goddamn bucket to them, at like a property, as long as it brings more eyes to all the other shit, especially now yeah. that they're selling ads. Like, that's just easy business. Yeah, Amazon Prime apparently has 200 million subscribers worldwide. Yeah. That's not just, not just the United States, but worldwide. But still, that's gigantic. That is a huge number of people. And like, it's not as easy so as many say, more than other streaming services. Yeah, it's not so easy as just to say like, well, Raw has a potential audience of 200 million. No, the fuck it doesn't. That's not how this works. A lot of those people are not people who are ever going to watch any entertainment programming on Amazon Prime. But they do yeah. have that yeah. breadth of possibility. It turns out they've had it this whole time and now they'll start using the video service that they weren't using before. This is what I'm saying. Like, there's potential here that goes far beyond just a simple rights fee negotiation. And I'm surprised that more people haven't taken Amazon up on it. Yeah. In terms of a streaming partner, it does seem like the best, as Netflix has never really gotten into sports for whatever reason. And if I'm WWE, I want to start backing away from my affiliation with NBC, if only because. I don't know how much longer that's even a company, to be totally honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I don't I don't know if the Cox future is strong. Like I just we are slipping and sliding down a path to a monopoly that like I'm not even sure the United States government can or will prevent in any sort of meaningful way. And I I wouldn't want to be betting on any of the major networks that aren't owned by Disney or Comcast at this point. And all quiet on the Warner Brothers uh, front. No, no word from one bill, Phil. Well, yeah. And especially like if the bidding is between Warner Brothers and Amazon, Warner Brothers ain't in the bidding. Let's just make it clear. (laughs) Amazon much deeper pockets than debt written Warner Brothers. Well, here's the thing, too. Vince McMahon never even would have considered this shit because he wouldn't have understood it. Like, he just wouldn't have understood the possibilities inherent in it. We just know that he he would have wanted something like terrestrial cable that he got. But, like, Nick Khan and Triple H, I get the sense, would see the possibilities in this. All right. News item number three. Where is Mercedes Monet going? Um... The first week of the year came and went, and she didn't show up at Wrestle Kingdom on Dynamite or the first Raw or SmackDown of the year. What's going on? This is so funny because, like, I hope this lasts, like, into March, and people yeah. are just like, what the fuck is happening? It's like the because new Jay White. He's li- she's literally, a, like, seemingly a complete free agent. She's certainly done with New Japan. She wrapped all that up. She made it clear she's not going back. Like, she had her time. That was fine. It was disappointing that she got hurt and missed most of it. But I was going to say, didn't she have, like, one match? She had uh, three or four yeah. matches, and they were good, but then she got hurt at that match on New Japan America, and then she was out for, like, eight months. Like, what Yeah, gonna she, I was going to say, she hasn't wrestled in forever. <laughs> the Wembley show was nearly six months ago, and I think that's the last time we saw her. Yeah. So it's obvious that she's about to come back somewhere. Everything on the internet says that she's about to debut with AEW literally any moment now. Could be today. Could be tomorrow. Who the fuck knows? Uh, what say you? Where do, do you believe that? I think she's going to WWE. I think WWE is working the media again and saying that her asking price was too high and they turned her down. I think it's just a smokescreen and she'll show up in the Rumble. It's actually funny because, like, there are also, like, some rumblings that, like, Naomi might be headed back to. I don't know how long her TNA deal was for. She seems like she's been having a great time in TNA. But it would be a big moment if both of them did wind up back there now. Yeah. Because basically they won. Her showing up in the Royal Rumble would be a huge deal. She might well win it. I haven't really put a lot of thought into who I think is going to win the Women's Rumble this year. I mean, obviously, whoever wins it is almost certainly going after Rhea, right? Because that's the goal. Like, she's hasn't been beaten in a match in, like, four years now. Yeah, she's the boss. The Did boss? you see that, like... Yeah, oh, there you go. Mommy like, against the boss. Rhea, Gunter, and Roman all have, like, non-pinned yeah. streaks of over three years. <laughs> yeah, it's ludicrous. It's fucking crazy. Yeah, like these people have to get beat at some point, right? In theory, right? but do they? Do they though? Like, does Gunther ever here? have to lose a match? I don't know that he does. What if Gunther? I mean, what if he just held the Intercontinental title for another two? I mean, at some point, I guess he should get a shot at the world title, but he's got to get in line behind Jinder Mahal first. <laughs> Dude, what the fuck? How are they doing this with Jinder again? Look, man, I actually kind of appreciate it. Because it's almost, 
I feel like Triple H has a giant grin on his face when he sends Jinder out to do this shit to be like, they're going to fucking hate you. This is the greatest heel shit possible because they because honestly, I feel like that's an understanding of the audience. It's so yes. hard to make a genuine Jinder's heel. a legitimate heel. Because he's someone you don't feel deserves that spot. You're never going to accept him. And that's now, beautiful. What, what I thought Triple H was going to do was he was going to be like, now let's book Jinder right and actually build him up and make him a main eventer, which they didn't do last time when they just threw the title on him out of nowhere. But instead, they're just throwing him into a world title match. And like, I don't think he's going to win, but I don't know, maybe. Like the genuine fear that he might is yeah. so fucking good. <laughs> And, like, are they bringing back three-man band or something? You know what? I, I think Heath Slater's a free agent. I think it yeah. might. They, I guess they might. Are they going to have him and Drew team up now that they both, like, leveled up and have old man strength? I fucking actually liked that idea. Like, wouldn't you love to see them, like, get back together for a little yeah. bit and just be I like. That's a good idea. It's being bitter heels who are like, you treated us like a joke. Joke's on you. There's a there's a version of gender that is genuinely worth pushing. I don't know if he's a main eventer. I don't know if he's ever a main eventer. I just don't think he can wrestle that kind of match. And we just never found out because they never actually built him up to be one. They just put the world title on him out of nowhere because they wanted and they were going to tour India and they wanted an Indian champion. But there was something to that title reign that like as much as people never gave it any credit whatsoever, there was something to his presentation. It was missing something, but like they were getting somewhere and then they just dropped him down a well. Yeah. Yeah, they just gave up on him. All right. Well, that was sort of four news items because we we couldn't hinder gender. Can't hinder gender, baby. Maybe next week we'll be talking about the fact that gender Mahal's the world heavyweight champion. <laughs> to have him be a world heavyweight champion when you've just gotten Punk and Rock and you have <laughs> Cody and Roman to put a belt on gender is just such a oh god the like the erection Triple H would have for all of us yelling on the internet. Let's turn back the clock to January 1995 um, to talk about the beginning of Kevin Nash's disastrous WWF title reign as Diesel. Um, First off, like, who is Kevin Nash? A proud son of the Motor City from Detroit, Michigan, a college basketball player um, at the University of Tennessee, a man who dreamed of playing in the NBA, but had his dreams dashed by the fact that he wasn't a very good basketball player. Yeah, that's kind of the thing. Like, he's, like, 6'10", so, like, it's not hard to get on a basketball team. Oh, man, back then? Yeah. Yeah. You didn't have to be good. You didn't have to be good back then if you were tall. But whether he blew his knee out or not, he wasn't going to make it in the NBA. Once you get to, like, the higher levels, suddenly there's a lot of 6'10 guys. Yeah. And it's like, oh. Yeah, I have to actually do stuff. So he bounced a little bit. He was a military policeman, um, served, I believe, in Germany, came home, you know, met his wife, was working the door at a strip club in Atlanta, I believe, when he was discovered by some uh, WCW talent and executives who frequented, uh, I believe it was the Cheetah Club, Jim Ross's, copped to meeting him at the club. 
There's nothing I love more than the number. Every single person was yeah. recruited into wrestling, either at Gold's Gym or a strip club. That's yep. just how you met other wrestlers. Literally, like, guys going out after the show, blowing their checks on lap dances. But they, could, they couldn't keep their eyes off the big dude working the door. Yeah, that's the thing. It's just like, oh, I could make some money with that big motherfucker. Yeah. So he gets into wrestling. You know, he's in WCW in the early 90s, and he just kind of flounders. He goes through a series of terrible gimmicks. He's a master blaster. He's Vinny Vegas. He's Oz, the giant wizard. Am I missing any? Is there Was there another one? I think it was just those ones, yeah. <laughs> like, they see so little in him that he's he asks for his release and just, I think he tells them, according to him, he tells them, like, hey, like, I don't think wrestling's for me. I'm just going to, you know, go back to managing the strip club. I'll make more money and, like, I won't be on the road anymore, Be have more time with my wife. She's pregnant. What he's actually done is worked out a deal with the WWF because Shawn Michaels has been watching WCW Saturday night and WCW syndicated TV on the road. And he's seen Vinny Vegas and thinks Vinny Vegas is hilarious and loves this big dude. So he goes and asks the Steiners who have just come over from WCW, like, Hey, do you know the big guy, Vinny Vegas? And the Steiners like, Oh yeah, he lives down the street from us in Detroit. That's fucking awesome. And like we've talked before, but one of the most delicious things of this era is Shawn Michaels, because he's got nothing fucking better yeah. to do, just laying at home on like his one day off watching WCW Saturday night. The only man on earth watching it at that time. Well, like in particular, I bet they wa- I bet the guys watched it on the road because like you're in the hotel on the road and unless you're drinking until you can't feel your face, like you turn on the TV and you flip around and like, yeah, you're going to end up watching wrestling and wa- wrestling's on TV everywhere back then. Yeah, a lot of guys these days like watch their own tape or they watch like yeah. other stuff. That but then you DDP had like an elaborate setup at his house to record <laughs> the nitros that like involved like Rube Goldberg machines in order to do that shit. That's just not something that existed at the time. You watched whatever wrestling was on like everybody else. Well, that's the biggest thing I almost have to explain to people about how the media environment is so different today. Today you can watch whatever you want to. Like yeah. If you like, I if you want to watch any old sporting event you want to, you can watch that. If you want to watch nature documentaries, World War II, it's all available on demand. Any movie that's ever come out, couple bucks you can rent it for on YouTube or just you know get it on an illegal streaming site. Back in the 90s, you just watched what was on TV. TV was me- much less interesting back then. You and the other 50 million people mindlessly surfing yeah. through the channels would watch whatever bullshit was on one of the 40 options that you had, unless you wanted to get up and drive to the video store to see what Jesus. there was to rent. Those yeah. were the options. Yeah. You remember just being like, oh, there's an NBA game on. I'll watch this. All the time. I became so invested in the New York Knicks-Indiana Pacers rivalry. I didn't give a yeah. fuck about either of those teams. They're like – Atlanta Braves baseball because it was on on TBS or like here in the Midwest, I'd get WGN and they'd show White Sox games. And I would sometimes watch the Chicago White Sox. Be a big, big fan of the big hurt. Frank Thomas. What a slugger. 
literally it, i live grew up in southern virginia and like we got wgn and we got tbs and usually every other channel just ran like infomercials during the day often those were the only things on a saturday afternoon who would actually be playing like some sports so yeah i watched hundreds of braves and cubs games i don't like baseball <laughs> but i know a yeah. lot about greg maddox <laughs> That's one other, yeah, that's one truth here. Neither of us, fans of baseball, watched a lot of it growing up, though, because it just happened to be on TV during the summer. That was just the reality of the time. That's how I fell into wrestling, is I had a very limited window where I was allowed to watch wrestling. It was usually on, like, Sunday mornings, like, when my grandma didn't force me to go to church. And so, like, Afterburn, or whatever they called their, like, 11 a.m. recap of the week, is how I started watching wrestling, because it was on. Like, it would be like, all right, I'm going to watch, like, the Fox X-Men animated series. And then when that shit ended, wrestling would come on. That That's how I got in. So back to Kevin Nash. He gets he gets signed with the WWF in the spring of 1993. He debuts as Shawn Michaels' bodyguard. Uh, he's initially unnamed. They take it takes him a while to come up with a name for him, and then I believe Shane McMahon comes up with the name Diesel because that was slang back then for like somebody who was really jacked, right? Yes, I, I love so much yeah. that like Shane McMahon is the only person in that office who even slightly cool knows person. any slang. Yeah, yeah. So funnily enough, I mean Diesel was a little bit popular as like a slang term, but it was also Shaq. very much. Yeah, but it's also very much like a gay gym term. Yes. And I don't think that a lot of people knew that. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Diesel is like, oh, that dude's jacked. I want to, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it very <laughs> much is. Which, you know, a lot of a lot of gay men would want to do that with Kevin Nash, to be honest. Let me put something out there that I'm not sure anyone's ever said on any wrestling-related media ever. This was a glorious time to be a gay wrestling guy. I bet. Holy shit. Kevin Nash, Scott Hall, Shawn Michaels. Like, these are some studs. Bret Hart. And it's like such a vaguely homoerotic presentation that they're putting on. Yeah, a lot of men's asses, a lot of, you know, the trunks, the trunks getting pulled down spot was very common back then. Yeah, every single angle is just all about how buff all these dudes are. Look, it's, there's a reason that wrestling hooked me in a big way. So Nash, initially he's just, you know, Sean's bodyguard and he kind of watches Sean's matches and learns, you know, kind of learns from him. They team on the house shows. And then in 1994, they do an interesting switcheroo where Sean needs some time off from the ring, and he becomes Diesel's manager, and Diesel starts wrestling. Of course, first Diesel has the huge run in the 1994 Royal Rumble, where he clears out the ring and plays king of the hill. Each guy comes in, Diesel throws him out, and this lasts for several minutes. Like I think that was the first time people really responded to diesel like a star oh absolutely you know what just occurred to me while you were saying that that's the exact same way they brought in omos with aj styles yeah it's a it's it's a time it's a time honored trope in wrestling it's just so funny and like including the part where they would then have aj be his manager to like kind of coach him from outside the ring i never realized that until you just said it um 
Diesel wins the Intercontinental title from Razor Ramon shortly after WrestleMania uh, 10. And then right before SummerSlam, him and Nat, him and Michaels win the tag titles. So he's a double champion. Before that, at King of the Ring, he gets a shot at Bret Hart. He wrestles Bret Hart for the world title at King of the Ring 94, one year after he's signed with the WWF, after he's been a jobber in WCW. He's wrestling for the world title on pay-per-view. Just a meteoric rise for Kevin Nash. So to put this in some context, like ever since the Ultimate Warrior thing failed, obviously Vince McMahon has been looking for his Hulk Hogan replacement. Yep. He's obsessed with, with the idea... Luther. That he's going to – he tried with Lex Luger. He tried it with Brett. It, nothing felt like a perfect fit. And then he sees Nash – and apparently in the Rumble is where he, like, first really saw it with Nash. And, like, he sees him and he's like, that's the guy. The problem is, like, if you've ever talked to Kevin Nash for five seconds, I'm not sure you could ever think that he would be Hulk Hogan. But, like, whatever hell or high water, Vince sees it, and he relentlessly pushes this man. This is maybe the most ascendant run we've ever seen. Even Warrior took, like, three years. <laughs> yeah, it's remarkable. But, you know, they were drug testing, and he was passing his tests, and he's still 6'10", 300 pounds. Yeah, you can't blame him at all. In the end, as we're certainly going to get into, you can argue with, like, what they wanted him to be, but you can't argue with pushing him. Like there's no. just no way around it. You have to do that. So um, SummerSlam 94, he loses the Intercontinental title to Razor Ramon. And then at Survivor Series, him and Shawn Michaels go splitsville when Shawn quote unquote accidentally hits him with the sweet chin music for like the fifth time in a row. Do you feel like they broke them up too early? Yeah, probably. I think there was more mileage you could have gotten out of them. I mean, I I pretty much agree with putting the world title on Nash when they did. I just think he should have stayed as a heel. And that's the thing. It's like, I, I understand them being like, well, he can't win the world title while still being Shawn Michaels' bodyguard. That feels weird. But honestly, I think the people were more ready for Shawn to turn face than they were for Diesel to turn face. And it also just makes more sense. So... Survivor Series 1994, Bret Hart loses the WWF title to Bob fucking Backlund in a 35-minute submission match. Bret couldn't just do the job to the big man, had to drop it to Bob Backlund. Bob Backlund at 46 years old, which funnily enough, doesn't actually seem that old anymore in modern wrestling. Like, yeah, back then it's like, he might as well have been grandpa. Yeah. Like they were bringing him out of the old folks home. Now it's like AJ Styles is 46 years old. Who gives a shit? Yeah. Like significantly, like way younger than Chris Jericho, 15 years younger than Sting. You know, it's just, it's a different time now. Yeah. Uh, but, like, this preposterous thing happens where it's not quite a clean finish, but he beats Bret Hart for the <laughs> bill. So the finish comes. He gets Bre The way this match worked, each guy had a corner man, and the match would only end when their corner man would throw the towel in, which is weird. That's how Bob lost the world title to the Iron Sheik. Arnold Skoll and his manager 
threw in the towel while he was in the camel clutch, which it seems like if you were Bob, you would be like, no, I want a match where that can't happen. But instead, that's what we get. And Brett's corner man is the British Bulldog, and uh, Backlund's corner man is Owen Hart, which is actually perfect because Owen is never going to throw in the towel, no matter how bad Bob is hurt. Yeah, that's the funny thing, Bob getting worked into that situation where Owen's like, I'll literally let you die as long as you beat Brett. Yeah, so Bulldog gets knocked out, and Owen, like, cries and cries to Stu and Martha, who are sitting in the front row, and begs them to throw in the towel to save Brett. Brett is literally in the crossface chicken wing for nearly 10 minutes at the end of this match. I think it's eight minutes he's in the chicken wing. Finally... Like, Martha gets the towel and throws it in, at which point Owen starts gleefully jumping up and down because he worked them. This is one of the greatest heel yeah. moments of all time. To work your fucking parents because you hate your brother so this bad is, is so Christian good. Cage shit. Yeah. So, so this may seem preposterous, and it was, and the fans fucking hated it. Of course they did. So logistics. That Survivor Series took place the night before Thanksgiving, Wednesday night. That Saturday, the WWF was running a house show at Madison Square Garden, as they always would, the the Saturday after Thanksgiving. They had been promoting Brett versus Backlund for the title at that show. They go on the air Saturday morning with superstars, first announcing the world title change, that Bob Backlund, like George Foreman, has won the world heavyweight title in his 40s. And then they announce that because Bret Hart is injured and can't wrestle, Backlund will instead defend the title against Diesel at Madison Square Garden on Saturday. I want you guys to try to understand this the sequence of events as I understood it as a 10 year old. Cause I saw that episode of superstars where it's like, wait, Brett lost to Bob Backlund. Yeah. And then like, I watch Afterburn the next day. And then like the next thing I know, Nash is suddenly the, like I was, I didn't understand that house shows were a thing that existed. I didn't understand <laughs> why the footage was so fucked up and grainy. I didn't even understand. I didn't understand who Bob Backlund was at all. <laughs> Yeah, so that Saturday night, first, they kind of gave away the finish to the smart fans. Like, they said you could call into the WWF hotline to hear the live commentary of the match, and they announced it could only be won by pinfall, no submissions, no countouts, no disqualification. So I I feel like to the smart fans, they're giving away that Diesel's winning the title here. They're trying to juice the house by all but telling people it's a title change. I understand in context why they decided to do this. They hadn't sold out like an MSG in a long time. Oh, they didn't sell this one out. Yeah, but they're trying to like rebuild the business there. I get that. But like, don't you feel like this is like strike one for his reign? Is that like the people don't even fucking get to see him win the belt? (laughs) It's kind of crazy. So, of course... Diesel beat Backlund in eight seconds. Bell rings. He kicks him in the gut. He jackknifes him. One, two, three. Big man's the new world champion. It is one of the funniest matches in wrestling history. After this 45-minute spectacle with Brett, boot, powerbomb, belt. (laughs) 
The show drew 7,300 fans to the Garden. Not good. No, one of the worst crowds ever. Maybe they drew, they may have had a show at the Garden in 2021 with limited capacity due to COVID that maybe drew less than that, but that's one of the worst numbers they've ever done at the Garden. Yeah. And like, that's not just because of Backlund, though it's largely because of Backlund, but it's also because no one's, they haven't built to Nash winning the belt at all, really. Like, there's no like chase here. There's no like, gentle build up there's no story to it they're just gonna put the belt on him because they want to and that's it i mean i can just only imagine the whiplash of the fans who are traveling for thanksgiving and didn't get survivor series and didn't see the weekend shows that like they turn on raw on monday and somehow diesel is now the world champion you would have to assume that he beat Brett and maybe that's what they were going for. It's like maybe in all of this, all they'll, all they'll interpret is that diesel beat Brett for the bell. <laughs> so raw on Monday live. I can't remember from where I think it was like Lancaster, Pennsylvania or somewhere like that. Woof. This is a dire time for this company. Diesel comes out with the title, do his first interview. First, he addressed Shawn Michaels. He promised to get his hands on him. Then he talked about the match against Backland. He thanked the fans. He promised he would defend the title against Brett, you know, anywhere, anytime Brett wanted his shot. I would say this was about a C-plus interview, like not a disaster, but definitely not the home run you were looking for from your new world champion. It's a disaster to put him out here in this situation. First of all, uh, I would guess that this is the first babyface promo he's ever cut in his entire career. Yeah, that's a good point. He's, he's never been a babyface before for one second. Second, like to put him out in front of the crowd instead of in a pre-tape where like you can kind of manage him and give him a couple takes just exposes the shit out of him because yeah. he's not a man capable of earnestness at nope. all. And he's clearly nervous. He stumbles over his words a few times. And it's just like, it, it's not, it's just not a good look. Like it's, is this about where we should say the name Roman Reigns for the first time? Like the, it, yeah, the, the Roman it, Reigns parallel, they made every, every mistake they made with Diesel, they made the same ones over again with Roman Reigns. It's stunning the parallels and it it's really just, same. Diesel only got a year. But like we can we know exactly what would have happened if he had gotten more time than that because we watched it play out. And it what happened was bad. <laughs> it, yeah. It's like they were trying to redeem the diesel thing by proving it would have worked. And what they proved is that no, it wouldn't have. I just on a fundamental level, I don't think Kevin Kevin Nash is not this kind of baby face. Like Kevin Nash got over as a baby face in WCW as in like edgy sarcastic cool heel who the fans got behind yeah the part of kevin nash that you love that works is because he's the coolest motherfucker you've ever seen in your life he's just so chill and cool and laid back and quippy why can't he just be that and the answer is because it's 1995 not 1998 and vince doesn't understand that that's a thing yeah they just want their new hulk hogan i think this works if you put the title on Diesel as a monster heel and just let him ride yes. for years, like probably two. I mean, I was texting you earlier that 
he probably should have carried the title until 1998 when he dropped it to Steve Austin is how long this probably should have gone. Here's the thing. The real lesson to learn from the Roman Reigns thing and the lesson that they could have learned here is that the answer to he's not getting over as a baby face, but he's this giant unstoppable monster is to have him be a giant unstoppable monster. (sighs) And like Vince was just so resistant to making it a heel territory. And I understand that was so counter to what he believed in, but all he needed to do was just embrace for right now. We have a megastar on our hands, but he needs to be a heel. And like everyone else can be a babyface, Razor babyface, Sean babyface, Brett babyface, Taker babyface. No one can stop him though. That there's money pouring out of that. And then, as is kind of typical for the time, he wasn't on TV very much before the Rumble, which might be the right way to go. They're pretty conservative with him. I kind of think if you're going for him as a babyface, they probably needed to do like. They would later do this, the like sit down, who is Diesel, you know, interview where they went into where they were like, oh, yeah, you're actually Kevin Nash. And like you played basketball at the University of Tennessee and this and that. Um, I, I think you needed to do that because I think if he's going to be a baby face, you need to make him sympathetic. And the best way I can think is just to be like, yeah, he dreamed of playing in the NBA, but a knee injury ended his basketball career. And, you know. He served his country in the military and then he wanted, you know, he became a wrestler because he wanted to provide a good life for his family. And both the knee injury, both it's sympathetic, like his dreams were dashed. And then it makes him vulnerable because every time he's in a match, you know, his knees are going to get worked over. And like you could even do like a thing where you can fold it into the kayfabe where like. Like, Shawn Michaels is a man who literally, like, rescued me off the street. I was about to quit wrestling. I was about to, like, yeah. go home and start bouncing in strip clubs again. This man reached out to me, and he saved me. And I would have done anything for him but he until he stabbed me in the back. And I'll never forgive that because, like, I was his man for life. Like, it's just, it's just so easy to launch Pat off of that once you give him an actual personality. But instead, they're just overlaying Hulk Hogan onto him. Yeah, and that the interview he does with Vince is exactly the same interview Vince did with Hogan before WrestleMania 8. Yeah, and it's just so funny because I'm not sure any two human beings that have ever been in the wrestling industry are more different personality-wise than Hulk Hogan and Kevin Nash. I just, I Hulk would Hogan be hard-pressed. Hulk Hogan commits to the bet. Yeah. Hulk Hogan is always working. Kevin Nash is never working. That's really the truth of it. The magic of Kevin Nash is that he's never working. He's just telling you the truth all the time. Yeah. And he doesn't care if you like it. Um, what do you, so on something to wrestle with, Bruce Pritchard just absolutely buried Jim Ross and like the direction they went in with Diesel when they started being like, oh yeah, this is Kevin Nash, you know, he was a basketball player at Tennessee, blah, 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 blah. What do you make of that? Like Bruce says he just hated that, like hated that they made him a real person. He thinks that wrestling is about characters, that they never would have done that. You know, with Hulk Hogan, they never would have been like, oh yeah, he was Terry Bollea. He was a struggling bassist in Tampa until Mike Graham found him, and then Hiro Matsuda broke his leg. What do you think about that? 
there's differences here. First of all, Bruce Pritchard is one of the shittiest bookers that the wrestling world has ever seen. Yeah. And all he believes in is shitty characters who suck. Like if you, you just go look at his track record, everything from Kerwin white to Mantar to fucking everything else. Like it's all him. So like, I'm not going to get too caught up in what Bruce Pritchard thinks about his specific character, but it's also different. Like, Hulk Hogan, you might not have actually thought Hulk Hogan was his name, but Hulk Hogan at least seemed like a person. Diesel is like a movie character. Like, it, it, you need to humanize him because he's too perfect. Hulk Hogan was never perfect. You know what I mean? Like, I, I think it genuinely helps. Also, oh, like, Diesel's whole presentation could have used a tweak... And, like, honestly, I would have just started calling him Kevin Nash if it were me. <laughs> That's just a better name. Diesel's kind of cool. The only thing is, they seem confused about, like, whether his character was supposed to be a truck driver or not. Here's the thing. Because Vince doesn't understand what the diesel yeah. shit means. So, like, I like the honk. But then, like, and, like... <laughs> I think Vince genuinely thought that his character was that of like a retired Mack truck driver. <laughs> he is the truck. That's the thing. It's like, I don't think, I don't think he understood why no. diesel was big daddy cool or what the fuck any of that meant. Like they should have just given him like Shane as a mouthpiece to explain the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Originally when he was a heel, his music was just the truck honking over and over. Which is so fucking heelish. That is really heelish, having to listen to a truck honking for five minutes during his entrance. I will say, like, when that shit starts up and, like, the ignition roars and the honk happens, that's a really cool start. Oh, and I've forgotten they did the glass shatter on this show. Yeah, but then the shitty blues. Like, it's just... It's cool at first, but then it just keeps going with, like, no change. Yeah, it's just it's not it's not main event material. (sighs) Shame Trick Trick wasn't around back then. They could have given him Welcome to Detroit as his entrance theme. Fuck yeah. Within weeks of becoming champion, Diesel was already being buried by people in the company to the wrestling media. I'm going to finger Jim Cornette for that one. I also just want to say, like. Diesel was so antithesis to what I I think like the Jim Cornettes of the world saw wrestling finally moving in a direction where like the Bret Hart's of the world were being taken seriously. And like, we're having more sports oriented and this felt like a step into the past. So of course they resented it. Like this big stiff can't wrestle to save his fucking ass. And he's got the belt when Bret Hart's sitting on the sidelines. I get why they were mad about it, but like, this is the shittiest money-making time in company history. Yeah. And, and like Vince is trying desperately to find something that anyone outside of the wrestling bubble will latch on to. If I were looking at the people in this company, I would also assume that Kevin Nash was that guy. Yeah. I mean, he, they didn't do, I don't know if they did market research back then, but can't you believe that if they did, he like his scores would be off the charts. I want you to imagine, I, I used to run focus groups. This is actually true. I was a sociology oh. major and like, so one of the things that we would do was we would do these focus groups or be like, all right, look at this image. Tell me what you think about it. All right. Now, what about this image? 
And like I can just imagine in my head having a focus group like showing pictures of various people and then yeah. putting one of fucking 1995 Kevin Nash on the screen and people being like, whoa! Yeah, like jet black hair like a lion's mane, you know, seven foot tall, buff, super handsome dude. Yeah, like, like I think you'd break the scale. This is everyone's type. This is the world's type. <laughs> Oh, uh, December 26th episode of Raw. Diesel was on Jerry Lawler's King's Court. It's oh, a bad start. <laughs> Lawler ran his mouth for five minutes before Diesel told him to shut up and threw him out of the ring. On commentary, Shawn Michaels said Diesel looked like the cowardly lion and that Michaels would send him back to Oz. An underrated part of why Diesel doesn't work has to be laid at Shawn Michaels' feet. Because there's to have Shawn Michaels be your nemesis in this era is probably yeah. the most horrific curse to be hanging around your neck. Because A, Shawn Michaels doesn't give a fuck about anything. Barry's, He's not going to put you Barry's over. Barry's Nash blows him up, took the worst jackknife in history at WrestleMania. That's the thing. He's act. WrestleMania is an act of sabotage. Yeah. Like the most blatant I've ever seen in a wrestling ring where Michaels is like, no one will remember you after this. They'll only remember me. I've never seen anything like that. All right. Before we get to the show, are you ready for a new generation lightning round? Fuck Yeah. Jim Ross returned to the WWF. Uh, Meltzer speculated that this may lead to a more Japanese style of booking with (laughs) winners and losers being emphasized. For some reason, Meltzer was obsessed with the idea that Jim Ross was going to be like the head booker of this promotion, even though he had never held that role really anywhere ever. Like he had been on committees, but like, why would you think that? He was coming back to work in the office and do talent relations. He was not even say, an, he was not even going to announce at this point because Jim because Vince McMahon hated him so much. It's just so funny to think that Dave Meltzer ever had the thought pass his head. WWE will present a more Japanese style presentation. Guess what, Dave? They did the fucking opposite. Now, where I think that comes from is I bet, I mean, JR talked to Meltzer a lot. So I'm sure they talked about philosophy. And you can hear JR saying like, her, got to make wins and losses matter more. Got to have more realistic, credible presentation, Dave. Sure. And Meltzer just throws in the Japanese part. Because to to Meltzer, that's what it is. And at that, uh, we're talking 1995. Like, Japan is all that matters. We're not talking about the NWA anymore. That's dead. (laughs) It's dead and buried, and it's never coming back. Like, if you want that kind of wrestling, you have to go to Japan to find it. Randy Savage left the WWF for WCW under mysterious circumstances. We'll never, ever know. Vince McMahon's going to die soon, and he's going to take the fucking secret with him. (laughs) The company promoted the Roberto Duran versus Vinny Pazienza boxing match. This Vinny Pazienza must have been a big wrestling fan, because this guy was on WWF all the time in the 90s. He was the guy who beat up the, the San Diego chicken at WrestleMania, right? Did he? Wasn't there a boxer? Remember... Was he the referee of the Brawl for All? Yes. 
And then when it went too short, no, that with uh, the butterbean match. Yeah. And then when it went too short, he had to like beat up the chicken. That was him, right? I don't remember, I but as, this was. was not the. He made a number of appearances over the years because he was a big fan, and I think they promoted a few of his fights. WWE tried so hard to get into boxing promoting you guys. There was a good chance they were gonna get Tyson at one point if it hadn't all gone awry. I think Vince may have exposed Don King stealing to Tyson. What a fucking fascinating story that is. Promos aired for the debut of the Extreme Fighting Machine, comma. I love that this is the first acknowledgement that they know that MMA is a thing. Yeah. And, like, instead of doing anything with that that makes sense they fucking had it be charles right yeah what if we made papa shang papa shango chemo but called him comma i also love like the ultimate fighting machine is a fucking great nickname that they ruined by using it here yep chris candido was reported to be coming in with a mighty mouse gimmick we're just playing the hits here the best part about that is I bet Meltzer knows because he had had a lot of conversations with Vince in like the 80s and early 90s about like Vince's booking philosophy. stuff. So he knows that Vince wants a Mighty Mouse. So every time a small guy comes in, Meltzer's got to be like, oh, time for Mighty Mouse. I mean, this like 95 ish period might be the most interesting time in the Observer because this is when Bo, this is when McMahon, Bischoff and Heyman are all talking to Meltzer regularly. Like, yeah, this is the best source Dave ever was. As much in as addition, as much as Bischoff will deny it today, he talked to Meltzer all the time back then. Well, yeah, because the executives in Turner were reading yeah. fucking Meltzer's newsletter to find out what was happening there, so he had to talk to him. Ricky Steamboat retired due to a back injury. He came back better than ever somehow. Sure did. It's weird to think, like, he was, what, late 30s when he retired? Yeah, not that old. Yeah, he he would have had several years left. But it's just weird to think of him still, like, limping on into the Attitude Area. Yeah, can you imagine Ricky Steamboat wrestling on Nitro? I There's nothing I can imagine like, uh, just being one of that, like, parade of people doing jobs in the middle of the fucking... My God, yep. I think he could have worked with Chris Benoit, could have worked with Dean Malenko, Eddie Guerrero. Imagine the matches he could have had in that era. Just think of how he spent his whole career as, like, the only guy who could work in the whole building. Yeah. And then, like, a million of those guys come in right when he leaves. <laughs> I think he would have been in the, imagine him in that TV title division working with like Benoit and Booker and Finley, man, that would have ruled. It's just so funny to think about how much that would have helped those guys too, because Austin doesn't become Austin without Ricky Steamboat. Like there's just, yeah. <laughs> Ultimate Warrior reportedly no showed an indie date in Texas and the promoters used an impersonator in his place. Oh man. So there are two warriors. The rumors were true. Damn right. Meltzer reported that the reason Sid Vicious wasn't getting indie bookings was because he was asking for too much money, not because promoters didn't want to do business with someone who stabbed someone. Sounds like uh, somebody called up old Meltzer and said, hey, uh," which is funny because Meltzer was one of the people in the world most upset about that whole situation that happened. So it's weird for him to be like kind of kayfabe and for Sid here. 
I can believe pro, pro wrestling promoters are sleazy and don't care that this guy stabs somebody. Of course they don't fucking <laughs> Just care. Just didn't want to pay Sid, you know, $5,000 or whatever he wanted to work a show. Sid's going to have the fucking belt in a year and a half. No, they don't care. <laughs> Vince sold Ico Pro. Thankfully, one of the few things I don't think I ever bought. Oh, God. Heard that stuff gave you the shit, something horrible. <laughs> I fucking believe it. <laughs> Vince and Ray Rougeau had a falling, or Jacques Rougeau had a falling out over Vince not wanting to run a show at Olympic Stadium in Montreal, which held 60,000 people. The idea was that Pierre versus Backlund for the title would headline. Pierre versus yeah. Backlund. Hell yeah, that's the goods. That's what people want to see in Montreal. <laughs> the funny thing is that, like, it is proven that Jacques Rougeau... That is Rougeau, exactly what would happen, though. Yeah, that's the thing. Jacques Rougeau versus Hogan drew, like, 40,000, didn't it? Like, Every time they would go to Montreal, it would be Bizarro World, and they would book all the Quebec guys as baby faces up there. Like, I mean, I don't know if you actually had to do that, but that was... Pat Patterson was very much of the belief that you had to do that. And Vince went along with it. And what it created over time was like literally this like upside down universe yeah. where like you go to Montreal, draw a gigantic house and all your heels are baby faces for one night. Ufi sold out the Budokan for Gary Hart beating Takata in the main event. Man, if I, could, yeah, they did. if I could be anywhere on earth, the Budokan in late 1994, early 1995 for Gary, for Gary Albright versus Takata sounds like it. Listen, we are inching as a podcast ever <laughs> closer to doing so a close. season on fucking Ufi. Dude, the greatest wrestling promotion in history. It's just been so funny over the course of this podcast, watching Steve discover UFI and then fall deeply, madly in love with it. Dude, Gary Albright hit that motherfucker with a dragon suplex from hell at the end of this match. Hell yeah, he did. Shoot dragon suplex. I don't think they put 250,000 people in the Budokan like Hogan did, though. Yeah, it's unfortunate. You know, like they, they changed the seating after yeah. that in fetch, so like you couldn't really draw that much anymore. That's a shame. The U5 pay-per-view that aired in the United States drew too low a buy rate to measure. Boo! Yeah, who the fuck would have bought that in 1995? <laughs> who would have even known? Me it would have been would, but yeah, the idea that they actually put that on pay-per-view in the U.S. is insane. Must have been in the middle of the night for some real sick perverts. Understand that when Wrestle Kingdom ran its one and yeah. only one on it's actual like pay-per-view. 10,000 buys! Yeah, and that, and like, was that, was, that was a promotion everyone in America had actually heard of and that people wanted to see. UFI? That's like if DDT ran a fucking pay-per-view here right now. Like, what are you talking about? According to Bruce Pritchard, Backlund refused to ever be jackknifed again after taking a rough <laughs> bump at the garden. I don't blame you, buddy. I, would, I don't want to be jackknifed. Actually, now that I think about it, is this the first bump like this he's Shit. ever taken? Probably. Did he ever work? He did some work in Japan, so he may have taken some nasty suplexes. Didn't he work in the UWF some? Oh, yeah, he absolutely did. Yeah, um, he, kicked, he actually kicked ass in the UWF. That is the perfect place for Bob Backlund to yeah. show up. Is in, like, 
confused but ready to go against these young Japanese shoot fighters. And he's just like, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm going to beat your ass, young man. <laughs> Backland wrestled Doink the Clown on Raw. That feels like a rib on Bob. I love Bob Backland is such an interesting man in a lot of ways. And like the things he would say no to and the things he wouldn't say no to are just so interesting. Like he saw no issue with wrestling Doink the Clown. But like he would like complain loudly about wrestling like random people that it made no sense. I don't I don't get his view of wrestling. Senator John McCain pushed to have UFC 4 featuring Hoist Gracie versus Dan Severn canceled from pay-per-view. Looking back on the early UFC like panic. Yeah. That was pretty whack. But also I mean, you have, it, was, it was fucked back then. Just keep in mind UFC back then was nothing like today. There were so many fewer rules. It was way more dangerous. Fights would go on as long as they needed to. There would be like 40 minute fights with no breaks. Like the brain damage people were sustaining. Oh and they they had no insurance. They were there were no <laughs> medical like things going on. This was like bum fights it was horrible <laughs> i think at the first one they had two ambulances and they had to, they used them in the first two fights like yeah. I, like they were out of ambulances after the first actually it may have been the first fight because the french dude the french kickboxer kicked the fat dude in the face so hard i think his tooth got stuck in his foot and they both yes. had to go to the hospital yep that is correct Jesus. Someday we're going to do that UFC one. I think that may need to happen this year. I pitched that before because I love it's such a spectacle of wild. horrifyingly bad wild. management. There's a guy in there who lied and said he knew karate <laughs> and he didn't. And he, <laughs> and he fought twice. Who did he? Yeah, I'm trying to remember who did he fight? Did he fight the kickboxer? Did he fight Shamrock? I think he fought. I think he fought like Shamrock. He fought somebody, and then they got hurt kicking his <laughs> ass. <never> placed, <laughs> <laughs> oh, UFC reportedly discussed running house shows. Got to draw house some houses, bro- brother. Got to draw some houses, brother. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> Apparently, the idea was they would do like fights between local fighters and the winners would get to fight. Like they would get in, like if you won one of the tournaments on the house show, you would get one of the spots on the pay-per-view. It's like the bunkhouse stampede. See, they basically did do that because they did like those touring, like local things or be like to find out how much town, like early in the thousands, they started like touring towns and like being like, Hey, uh, you think you're tough and bad? Get in the octagon and see if you can actually go just to see if there was anybody out there who was worth picking up. So like they actually kind of do that, but it wasn't like officially affiliated with UFC. Abdullah the butcher opened a fusion Chinese soul food restaurant in Atlanta. This sounds delicious. God, I want to go to that restaurant oh, right now. Oh man, would I eat there? So much better than pasta mania. Oh, I would eat the shit out of that. Yep. William Shatner appeared on Raw. He hit Jerry Lawler with a monkey flip and then put him in the crossface chicken wing. Those are that's a string of words that you just said out loud and. I'm sure that Shatner had such a great time doing that. Yeah. Him and Lawler are friends. Uh, didn't Shatner do Lawler's Hall of Fame induction speech? He did, yeah. Yeah. 
And finally, the hammer, the human minotaur, the mantar debuted. Steve, paint me a word picture of the mantar. The mantar, well, the original mantar was different because originally he had a giant head. It was like a Vader head. It was so big he couldn't get into the ring. It got stuck in the ropes. Oh, and I forgot to mention his manager was Jim Cornette. Which of course this is clearly a rib on Cornette that this happened. Like this is a hundred percent like Bruce Pritchard and Jerry Jarrett trying to fuck with Cornette. And if, like this is one of the very few things that Bruce Pritchard's ever done that he acknowledges was bad, which means it was <laughs> bad. Like so, a Minotaur is like a horseman, right? It's like Khaleesi from the from uh, the Game of Thrones. Well, like, specifically a minotaur is somebody who has, like, the body of a horse and the torso and upper body of a human. So, like, how you could portray that, I'm not sure. But he's not a minotaur. He's the mantar. He's a man. So, like, it's opposite. That means he's got the lower body of a man. Yeah, he's got hooves and a horse head and fur. And then they just gave him face paint and he was just a fat dude wearing like brown furry pants i think mantar is a word that's impossible to say just as a word like i I can never imagine saying without saying like mantar mantar oh it's the mantar and he's got jim Cornette with him i'm just like there's a lot of gimmicks out there that i honestly think like get too much shit like, like for example, like Man Mountain Rock is a terrible gimmick, but like I get it, and like maybe somebody could have made that like work. Vinny Vegas, even Oz, Oz was kind of cool, but like Mantar is a gimmick that no one can no. get over. No, it's 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 dead as soon as it hits no. the air. Vader could have been the Mantar, <laughs> and, it and maybe, disaster. and he probably almost was, because he was almost the Mastodon. Yeah. Oh, he's a big old mastodon. Vince McMahon's vocabulary is troubling. (laughs) So to get into the show, it's Sunday, January the 22nd, 1995. Uh, We're at the Sundome in Tampa, Florida. Uh, It's sold out. They're hanging from the rafters, 10,000 people in attendance. So not a huge building, but, you know, sellouts about as good as you're going to do. And Tampa's not that huge a market for the WWF at this point. Um, the show does 225,000 buys. That's actually up from the previous year. The previous year did about 200,000. Um, really? Diesel drawn? I don't know. What do, what do you say here? Something's drawn Diesel here, definitely. Diesel a big title match. I mean, the previous year, though, they had The Undertaker and Yokozuna in a casket match for the title. What I will say is that aside from one match, this card is loaded. Like yeah. this is these are all pretty big fucking matches. On commentary, the wretched team of Vince McMahon and Jerry the King Lawler. This is just like horrible. Listening to your two like shitty uncles like talk, yeah. just like keep a running thing going while you're trying to watch the show. These two are despicable together. In the dark match, Buck Quartermain defeated the Brooklyn Brawler. 
Yes, he did. Who, Who the, the fuck, fuck is Buck Quartermain? Buck Quartermain. This dude was around. This dude must have been friends with somebody because he was around like at least into the late nineties, but even into the thousands. He was in TNA. He was in TNA. You're right. Yeah, he teamed with Kenny King. Oh God, really? Yeah, he was on Turning Point 2005, Destination X 2005. Uh, he did a squash match, I think, against the Big Show at some point in 2005. Like, yeah, somehow 10 years after this, this dude was still getting booked. This guy was like, won the Puerto Rico Championship, the NWA Florida Heavyweight Championship. Yeah. What are we talking about? I don't. This is the first time I've ever heard that name come out of anyone's mouth in my entire life. Well, Steve, he played a, he was a defensive back for Jacksonville State University. Oh, yeah. FC, you know, Division One AA All-American. Oh, yes. We open with all the wrestlers looking like geeks cheering for Pamela Anderson's arrival oh, in the parking God. lot. What okay. a bunch of losers just drooling over her. They've come up with this thing where they're going to have Pamela Anderson, who at this point, because of Baywatch, yeah. was genuinely probably the most photographed person on the face of the earth. Like she was like just like the most heavily fueled boner fuel there was in the entire world at that time. I was 10. Really, that mostly passed me by. <laughs> uh, but the way that it like that people react when she walks by, it genuinely is like they're going to run a train on Pamela Anderson. Like that that is the attitude of the men as they run towards her. And they're like they're angry when she walks away. Yeah. They're like they're not disappointed. They're like that fucking bitch. Oh man. Opening match for the Intercontinental Championship, Razor Ramon defends against Jeff Jarrett. J E double F J A ha ha double R E double T ha ha is always on us. <laughs> oh God. What do you, how do you feel about this version of Jeff Jarrett? This. Okay. I don't, I've never really understood the point of this version of Jeff Jarrett at various times when they were trying to make him the country singer, I at least got what they were going for, but like, I never understand the point of characters that are supposed to have like other active careers that are more successful than wrestling. Like why well, you didn't wrestling? understand anything about this company back then. Cause almost everybody had another career going. Yeah. It confused the shit out of me as a kid. And it still does. I was like, if he's a famous country singer, why does he wrestle for a living? I don't, I don't get it. Um, I love Cause, the, cause wrestling doesn't pay. What is working here is the roadie. The roadie, the roadie yeah. is a fantastic gimmick. Yeah, apparently that was Shawn Michaels' idea. And this of course. Is fun, this is funny as shit. <laughs> like, you got, got the roadie trying to stay out of the picture, but he's always, like, accidentally jumping up too soon. That That's so genius, and that's... Fucking Shawn Michaels should have had the book for this company, because I swear to God he's all got the all good the good ideas. All the good ideas are his. Yeah. yeah. And, of course, you know, it's the road dog. He's incredibly charismatic, and he is an incredible singer. Like, super underrated. Also, the Road Dog can rap. Who knew the Road Dog had flow? Yeah. We we saw it. He kept up with... No other white wrestler in history could have kept up with Ron Killens. It's true. 
Like, not even a little bit, not even at all. Not John Cena, who had an actual rap album. That actually goes pretty hard. You should go back and listen to that sometime. It's, like, not nearly as bad as you would expect it to be. I, I expect it to be pretty bad. Yeah, I bought it at the time. Uh, Razor starts fast with a fallaway slam and a choke slam. Jarrett rolls out to the floor. Jarrett spends a long time stalling, but he hits a couple drop kicks and get the advantage. Uh, Razor turns the tide and throws Jarrett over the top, but then Jarrett uh, gets back in the ring, dumps Razor out to the floor, and Razor hurts his knee on the landing. While he's on the floor, Rhodey clips Razor's knee, and Razor is counted out. This but, yeah, this causes Jarrett to grab the mic, and it takes him like ten oh minutes God. to say what should take thirty seconds to say. Just goes on and on. But all he needs to say is like, "Hey, you fucking coward, get back in the ring. I'm not. I don't want to win like this." Though this is weird. This is the only time I've ever seen a heel do this. Like it's always before been the babyface who was like, "I don't want to win like this. Let's get him back in the ring and restart this thing." Yeah, of course, can't win the title on a count out, which is a lame rule that shouldn't exist, but it does. And like, so Jarrett, this is 1995, so you're not allowed to say anything actually that could be construed as offensive by anyone anywhere ever. Yeah. So he just keeps being like, you got a yellow streak up your oh back. You're a coward. Memphis. Yeah. That, that's just Memphis Shut all the way down. Memphis. Also, did you feel like Jeff Jarrett was portrayed as the superior wrestler to Razor Absolutely. Ramon in this match? Because I did. Absolutely he was. Yeah, and on commentary, repeatedly. They were, yeah. On commentary, they were basically constantly saying, like, oh, man, Jeff Jarrett's so fucking good. Guys, Almost he's supposed like to be Jarrett's a Jeff Jarrett's dad is heavily involved in the creative. That's what I'm saying. Like, he's supposed to be a chicken shit heel yeah. who's not good at wrestling. Like, what are we doing? <laughs> Once Razor gets back in the ring, Jarrett goes to work on his knee. Razor manages to get to his feet, makes a great comeback. Like, love Scott Hall's babyface fire. This is the point at which I should say that the thing that offends me the most about Diesel's title reign is that it should have been Razor's. Yeah. Because Razor was capable of being the babyface that Kevin Nash could never be. Yes. And he's every bit as fucking cool and good looking. And a huge. way better wrestler. Like the whole package is there. The look is there. The music is there. The character is there. Like it's just. And, yeah. I mean, Kevin Nash is probably six, nine and Razor's probably six, six. Like Razor is Hogan size. Like. Honestly, if Kevin Nash never comes to this company, I don't I hope maybe Razor actually gets that chance. But to me, it just feels like the biggest missed opportunity they ever did was not understanding that Razor was supposed to be the guy. And they just never did it. Jarrett. Uh, Razor gets Jarrett up for the Razor's edge, but his knee gives out. Jarrett rolls him up with a small package and gets the pin after 18 minutes. Um, a solid match, a little long for how it was set up. I think if it was going to go 18 minutes, Razor probably needed to get some more hope spots in there. I completely agree. Like, this is a long match. But not like, a very long time. And again, most of it is just Jarrett beating Razor's ass. Yeah. It's, it's, it's odd. I didn't much care for it, to be honest. 
We go back to Todd Pettengill interviewing Pamela Anderson. She has gotten gifts from all the wrestlers, and Todd got her. Todd tried to get her a dozen roses, but only one came. This, these recurring backstage segments of Todd Pettengill with Pamela Anderson, where he's like literally like a 13-year-old boy having his first erection and doesn't know what to do with himself, is actually pretty funny. Like, got to give it up to Todd. He really committed to the bit here. And then Stephanie Wyand interviews Jeff Jarrett. Who Who the hell was this? I've never seen this woman before or since. Yeah, she was around not for very long. Um, I, I have a feeling there's a story here. She was originally introduced as Todd Pettengill's Christmas present. Jesus Christ. Oh, I do remember that. Doesn't she seem, like, older than Todd, though? Yes, much. (laughs) That's kind of weird. Do we think... Uh, I don't want to imply anything was going on with her and Vince, but it feels like maybe she was the right age for Vince to be into at this point. She left the WWF in the summer of 95 to pursue other career opportunities. Abruptly. Yeah. Yeah. May have yeah. signed it. May have signed an NDA on her way out. Who knows? It's almost impossible to believe anything other of Vince McMahon at this just, point. Like, yeah. <laughs> she's just like she's here on a few of these shows, and it's just so strange because like she's not a fit, and she's not she's not good. Like, yeah, no, no, no. She bungles like every line that she says on this show. Oh man, J- Jared says he's gonna go celebrate with Pam. Everyone, literally everyone on this show basically says, I'm going to go fuck Pamela Anderson after this show. And, like, I know that we're supposed to understand that they're all full of shit, but, like, guys. And then we've got a special challenge match between IRS and The Undertaker. This... Is IRS here like one of the Dude. ballsiest men in wrestling history to call out The Undertaker? Yeah, he just started shit with The Undertaker. He just started doing promos from graveyards being like, you've got to pay your fair share of taxes, even in death. Like, I the fact that this entire storyline is just like somebody was death in the writer's room and been like, death and taxes, buddy. That's Vince. Vince loves that shit. Maybe Jerry Jarrett may have said it and Vince may have thought it was hilarious. But there's nothing to that beyond saying it. Like, these characters don't make any fucking sense. IRS has druids with him. Didn't you think we were going to get big reveals of who the druids were? I really wanted it to be like IRS repossessed his druids. Like Undertaker hasn't been paying his taxes. (laughs) Undertaker Undertaker died to try to avoid taxes. Not going to work. Not on IRS's watch. He has his estate. He repossesses the urn. He gets pallbearer. Yeah. The estate tax is a thing. You got to pay taxes on your estate. That would just be such a fascinating thing for, like, a poor, beleaguered Undertaker who doesn't understand because he's a fucking zombie. Bill Clinton's in the White House. Taxes were going up. We had to pay yep. that budget deficit down. That is it's all, it's clearly almost Vince's inspiration. I guess, I, I guess IRS was around behind that, but it feels like the character sticks around because Vince was mad about the fact that, like, he had to pay more taxes. 
If this was more of an adult program at this point, I guarantee you IRS is a much bigger heel on this show. <laughs> yeah, kids don't understand this. Kids don't understand taxes. But it would have been like right to censor. It would have just been like, oh, here comes the tax, man. <laughs> IRS comes out first with DiBiase, and then he says that the tax cheats in the crowd, that no one will get to rest in peace until they all pay their taxes. I've got such a soft spot for this character. It's so bad, it's good. People talk about this being Russell crap and stuff. I it genuinely is, love like, IRS, though. Like, and like, just, Mike Rotund is so bad. The promos are so low energy, because he'll literally just be like, this is the biggest group of tax cheats I've ever seen. But, like, that's the only thing that makes it work. If a charismatic person had this character, yeah. it would feel wrong. But Mike Rotunda, who never had a shred of charisma, has finally found the character he was born to play of an accountant who's mean. As, um, oh, what was his name? The guy who was the, Art, Art, um, oh, uh, Art Donovan. As yeah. Art Donovan said at King of the Ring 95 or 94, is that one of the wrestlers? He looks like a businessman. <laughs> Uh, we got to do King of the Ring 94 this year. How have we never covered how much does this guy weigh? Hart Donovan. Um, you know what? And, and the game for that one is we'll find out how much those guys weighed. We'll have to find out how much everybody weighs. Yeah, we'll, we'll look it up. We haven't done a game in a long time. It's hard coming up with them each week. Some shows just don't have a game in them. Like, what the fuck? There's no game to this show. The Undertaker comes out accompanied by Paul Bear. It was one year ago at the Royal Rumble where he was killed by Yokozuna and ascended to heaven. Yes, and this is heaven, wrestling IRS at the Royal Rumble. Several minutes go by before they actually touch. Because once they do, where can you go? (laughs) IRS can't hurt The Undertaker. DiBiase calls for reinforcements and the Druids come down the aisle. IRS manages to clothesline Undertaker to the floor. He goes after the Druids and that allows IRS to get the drop on him. We then get a very boring IRS heat segment. Um, Eventually, Undertaker sits up. IRS catches him with his clothesline finisher, which I believe was called the write-off. Love that. He can only get two. Undertaker comes back with the choke slam to get the pin in 12 minutes. Now, as a thing to put in the mid card of the Royal Rumble, honestly, yeah. this is perfectly fine. Look, <clears throat> they as didn't something want to put mid- the Undertaker in the Rumble because then he would have had to get eliminated, and that's a whole thing. But yeah. unfortunately. Uh, this is actually a vehicle to lead to the match that they're going to be pushing oh, now. And that is one of the most horrifying <sighs> ideas. King Kong Bundy waddles down to the ring to attack Undertaker. We have not seen this man in six years. Oh my God, Bundy. And he looks like shit. IRS steals the urn from Paul Bear. He repossesses it. Why did IRS not work with Repo Man? Um, like, th- th- this has always bothered me. Were they never a tag team? 
Maybe they were, but like it should have been. I love the idea so of Iris obvious. sending yeah. Repo Man out to steal people's shit. Yeah, it's like, oh yeah, he didn't pay his taxes. Go get his bike. Go repossess the belt. <laughs> Todd tries to get a word with Diesel and Brett, but neither of them has much of anything to say. I actually really like these promos because. Yeah. Especially for Diesel, who's been mostly shown to be like a I don't really give a shit about anything kind of character. Like here, he's dead serious. Yeah, he's just he's like, just like you know, not now, Todd. I got I got to concentrate on the match. Brett actually talks a little bit, but he's just like, listen, uh, I, I I like Diesel. He's a cool guy. Like uh, I respect him. That's fine. But I'm gonna win this fucking match. I got to win the belt. Yeah. And then Todd asks him like, what are you gonna do if you get hit with the jackknife? And Brett like pauses for a second. He's like. I, I'm going to cross that road when I come to it, Todd. Because yeah. he's got like no this. answer for that. Yeah. <laughs> Don't get hit with the jackknife is the answer. Yep. Oh, man. Yeah, Brett did a promo on one of the Raws where he talked about the fact that he was home for Christmas for the first time in years. Just very Brettish. Just like Brett sitting around at home in like his, you know, 90s button-down shirt being like, yeah, this was the uh, first time in a lot of years I was able to uh, spend Christmas here at home with the family. You could hear how thrilled he was about that. It's just, yeah, it's just like not out on the road banging rats. Fuck, I got to <laughs> I gotta be at home with the wife. Sucks. <laughs> I had to see all his siblings. I had to see Bruce, Keith. Yeah, gotta, Bruce has asked me 34 times if I can get him a job. And yeah. Ross has asked me to invest in a shady side business. This is great. <laughs> Literally like Chris, like National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. I feel like Christmas events at the Hart family are like Brett goes over to Owen is like, hey, do you want to go play hockey out back? I don't want to talk to weed. anybody. Yeah, and like Owen just like, no, I want to see everybody because like Owen doesn't fucking hate everyone. Yeah. Now kids today don't understand what a cousin walk is. Yeah. But yeah, and then of course it devolves into the feats of strength where everybody has to wrestle Stu. Oh yeah, and Stu fucking stretches them all. Nobody can beat him. I don't think Brett could beat Stu at this point. Also, like he's not gonna hurt his dad, but his dad's gonna hurt him. Yeah, his dad is not afraid to do that. Fuck. All right, WWF title match: Diesel versus Brett the Hitman Hart. Brett out first. Of course, he's all business. And then Diesel makes his entrance. They've got the entrance like Steve Austin from WrestleMania 13 where the glass shatters. This was so cool. Diesel looks fucking incredible yeah. here. Like, it's a shame that the music isn't, like, quite there. But when that, that like, the glass shatters and it's like, like, that is as cool as I've ever seen a wrestler be. And I love that he has to duck as he comes through the entrance. It's so fucking big. And the way that they have this arena set up, it's not a big arena. Like, it's no. a pretty much smaller one. But he, since they have to come out basically diagonally, he's walking much closer to the crowd than they usually do. And you get to see him in comparison to yeah. other people standing up. And he looks preposterously bigger than them. Yeah, he's a foot taller than the average American man who's like 5'9". And we weren't super jaded to, like, the great Khalis and Big Show of the yeah. world at this point. This was probably the biggest man I'd ever seen. I was too young First for Andre. First huge guy since Andre, right? I mean, yeah. you'd, had, you'd had Giant Gonzalez, but he wasn't around that long. Yeah, I had seen Giant Gonzalez, but, like... And also, Giant Gonzalez had, like, a freak-like quality to yeah. him that, like, 
Nash is just like a guy, but he's built on a gigantic scale. No. Oh. What if a big boy was the world champion? It's like how the writers of Reach are understand. We just want to see a big boy solve crimes. It's the yeah. whole thing of the show. What if a giant jacked dude was a detective? What if his superpower was just that all of his problems could be solved by being big? He was so fucking big he could beat anyone up. That dude, shit. That dude should have been a wrestler. Yeah, hell yeah. Um... Uh, he shakes hands with Lawrence Taylor in the front row. This, is, I believe, is the first time we saw that LT was in attendance. LT, LT had to get his golf game in before they could come to the show. Yeah, learning from uh, the Something to Wrestle With podcast that like LT was like, I'll train 20 hours a day as long as for the other four I can play golf. <laughs> it's very LT, funny. Big golfer. Big, I big, love that. I think that was how they got him. I think Lex Luger played in a charity golf outing with him. That's just so funny. And, like, bless LT, like, again, of all the celebrities who have ever been part of WWE, few have ever bought in near as much as he did. Like, he is all in on this. Yeah, and he gets a gets, it's a huge pop. And, like, we're not anywhere, like, we're not in, like, New York. No, we're Tampa. in fucking, we're in Tampa. Um... Diesel offers a fist to Brett, but he slaps it away. They start trading fists. Brett goes for a cross body, but Diesel catches him and slams him. Brett gets Diesel's leg and wraps it around the ring post twice. Then he puts on the figure four and holds it for several minutes until Diesel manages to reach the rope. So Brett definitely working as the subtle heel here, which is pretty smart, but I don't really feel like he ever managed to get the fans to boo him. Gosh, did he ever really? Like he doesn't he doesn't really hear. Um 97 Bret Hart got heat. Yeah. Uh, the thing is, I don't think the fans really love Diesel. Oh. But but like so they're not really fully willing to boo Brett at all at any point really here. So like what it, it makes What do you think of better. the decision to put D, putting Diesel up against Brett here does kind of feel like setting him up for failure. Well, I understand why they're doing it. Like the, the his biggest issue is he's not nearly the worker that all these other guys have been, right? So they're trying to give him his bona fides with the audience and be like, look, he can go. Like he and Brett are going to have a great match, and then people will feel better about the fact that he's the champion because he can have a great match. I mean, maybe, but the world champion before Brett was Yokozuna. Yeah, but Yokozuna was fucking wrestling good matches. Yeah, uh, fair. Uh, but yeah, I, I get what you're saying. The problem is too, yeah, you're putting him up against Brett, who's maybe the most sympathetic character you have on the whole roster, the most beloved probably too. And like, even though Brett is so much more technically excellent, excellent than Diesel, I sort of get what they're going. This is basically Daniel Bryan versus Brock Lesnar. Like, yeah, it, it's impossible no matter what the little guy does to see him as the heel. <laughs> Um, Diesel rolls to the floor and Brett follows him out with a suicide dive. And then Diesel turns the tide as he slams Brett into the steps and um, uh, hits him with a sidewalk slam. 
Diesel tries to slam that, but his knee gives out. Brett uses his wrist tape to tape Diesel's legs to the ring post, and then he proceeds to stomp him. That was such a cool spot. So, like, is this where uh, John Cena got the idea to do that to Batista in their last man's match? Yeah, I bet that's right. This is a fucking dynamite spot right here. Like, Brett just finding unique ways to, like, get the advantage. Earl Hebner manages to get Diesel loose. Brett knocks Diesel to the floor. He tries to follow him out with a Pescado, but Diesel catches him out of the air and slams him into the ring post. Just love the battle. Whenever they're on the ground, Brett has the advantage, but if they're both on their feet, Brett's in big trouble. And Brett's going to the air, what feels like a lot more than Brett normally would, and like it's not working out for him at all. Um... Diesel signals for the jackknife met with tons and tons of booze. Yeah, because if he actually hits this, then he's going to beat Brett clean. And at this point, it's only in like 18 minutes. People were going to shit on that. You know what? Going to say something controversial. He should have beat Brett's ass here. He absolutely should have beaten Brett. This, he this needs is, that this credibility. This non-finish is horse shit. You it never would have done this to Hogan. That's actually a very good point. Unless that was like Piper in the ring, there's no fucking way you're going to a draw. Well, that's what they said. That's what Bruce says is they were always like, well, what would we do if it was Hogan? You didn't put Hogan up against Bob Backlund in 84 for a reason, because you knew that would be a mistake. And if you had, you would have had Hogan beat him. You had Hogan beat everybody because he was the guy. If Diesel's the guy, he beats Brett here. Here's the thing too. And this is also part of the problem. Everybody on this roster is a babyface, but Shawn Michaels. Like yeah. all their top guys are babyfaces: Taker, Diesel, Brett, Razor, all the top dudes. Who the fuck was he supposed to face other than Brett? Like I don't really. If you're going to him and Shawn at Mania, who does he face here? Jarrett. It's tough. I mean, I don't think Backlund's too much of a joke to put on pay per view. Um, the only the only heel Owen? is on. Yeah, the only heels on this entire show are Jeff Jarrett, IRS, Bam Bam Bigelow, who's busy, Tatanka, uh, let's go into the rumble here. Diesel Uh, against Bam, Diesel against Bam Bam would be excellent. Actually, that's, you could do the exact same angle with LT if you just have Diesel feed him clean. That makes total sense, actually. Could you do Diesel Owen? Yeah. That was always what I thought they could have done is Owen could have won the title instead of Backlund. Owen could have beat Brett for the title. And then that would have been hysterical if he got his come up in hilarious fashion. They should have done it on raw. They should have had like Owen bragging and then out comes diesel power bomb wins the belt. Oh, you could do that. Remember at WrestleMania, how him and Brett locked up and when they broke clean, Owen celebrated. You could do that with diesel and then diesel could jackknife him. That would have been like something we remember forever. <laughs> would, also, have you like, just, would have been like when Bobby Lashley beat the Miz. Also, you could just have uh, you could just feed Luger to D- Diesel. No one's going to care about that. It's fine. Yeah, Lex Luger is really in obscurity here. Yeah, I think Bam Bam's probably the best option though. Like I think because literally it changes nothing about the show to to feed Bam Bam to Diesel. 
Uh, Diesel hits the jackknife. He makes the cover, but Shawn Michaels shows up and attacks him. Cause, and this just sucks because, like, you know he should have beaten Brett there. Like, he was going to beat Brett. There's yeah. a visual pinfall. Like, what are we doing? Like, just... It, the referee throws Sean out. Sean leaves. And it looks like we're going to have the match stopped. But then they announce that the referee has ordered that this match must continue. Crowd pops for that. Yeah. I Watching it, I just I thought it was over when Sean interfered. I didn't remember exactly how this went. Yeah. <laughs> it goes like another 10 minutes. Uh, Brett goes back to work on the legs. He locks on another figure four. Diesel gets out. He hits a gut wrench suplex. Diesel misses a kick in the corner. Brett once again wraps the leg around the post. He gets a chair, smashes Diesel's leg with it. McMahon is calling for him to be DQ'd. Now Brett actually does start getting booed as he applies the sharpshooter. So I was wrong. He did manage to get some heat here. Like, this feels like a genuine heel turn. It's not actually what happens. But That's like, crazy. He's beat the shit out of him with that chair. I mean, he said in the interview, I'm going to do whatever it takes, man. If he loses here after he lost to Backland, like, when is he ever going to get another title match? He yep. has to win. He has to do it. And that's another reason Diesel could beat him is, like, it can take Brett a year to get another title match. And when he does... He's like, this is my last chance. I'll never get another shot at Diesel if I lose here. That would have been, dare I say it, Japanese-style booking. Yeah, and Japanese-style, he would have lost that fucking match. Yeah. And then three years later, we would have come back for the rematch. And we would have sold out the Budokan, brother. You know it, buddy. 250 in the house. Owen Hart runs in and attacks Brat. Once again, Hebner lets the ref what lets the match go on. This is absurd. Hebner, what the fuck are we doing, man? Like, guys, the both guys at this point have had a point in the match where they got beat up and knocked out by someone interfering from outside, and they were then forced to continue the match. Diesel would have had legitimate grounds to file a grievance with the athletic commission here. If he Funnily lost the enough, title. You want to talk about Japanese style? This is the only Japanese style thing on the whole show is the refs just letting ludicrous <laughs> shit go on. Yeah, Red Shoes would never call a disqualification here. I don't know that Red Shoes has ever called a disqualification. He's just like, oh, we're hitting people with chairs and shit? Well, all right. Have you, has there ever been, have you ever seen a disqualification in Japanese wrestling? Is Literally the only Japanese wrestling match I've ever seen stop was by Antonio Inoki because he hated it so much. <laughs> Because everybody, what about, didn't one of the Tokyo Dome matches degenerate into a shoot, one of the main events? Yes, but they I, they did separate that up. Yeah, that's true. That was uh, Agoya versus uh, Hashimoto. Christ. But it's not nearly as fun as remembering the time that uh, Dot Gallows and Sylvester Turkai had a match so bad <laughs> that it it up stormed, so out bad. In, stormed out in front of 10,000 fans and yelled at them to fucking wrap it up. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, they uh, Brett slams Diesel into a turnbuckle that Owen exposed. They fight on the floor. Brett rolls back in the ring. He plays possum like his knee is hurt, and he gets Diesel with a small package for a two count. Remember that. It's Survivor Series at the end of this year. That's how he's going to beat Diesel. The, that seems bizarre that, like, 
Diesel doesn't Diesel falls for it, but then doesn't lose. But then he falls for the exact same shit again. The ref gets bumped, and at this point, Michaels, Backlund, Owen, Jarrett, and the roadie all run in, and the match is finally stopped. Why don't we just fucking bring in like a platoon of soldiers? What the fuck? Like, how many people can possibly run into one match? This is almost as many guys who attacked the Undertaker the previous year. This is the thing. This is just a yearly thing now, where Bruce books that half the fucking roster is going to run into the title match. So lame not to have a finish, but man, this was an excellent match. This might well be the best match of Kevin Nash's career. This match, I honestly couldn't think of one that even remotely compared to it. Like I really it, like the Survivor, the Survivor Series '95 match. Like plays on this match a lot and i really like that one too i also think the bash at the beach match where hogan turns is a completely underrated match in and of itself because i love that match like as a match very different Um, yeah this is absolutely excellent and you know what else it is is stump steve time god so this match went 27 minutes and 19 seconds, which is extremely long for it's a, a long w- ass match for a WWE title match. And especially one at the Royal rumble. In fact, I have a question for you. Is it the longest WWE title match at a Royal rumble? And if it is not, what is, Oh, well the match that I guess triple H Scott Steiner for, was for the world heavyweight title. That felt like the longest match. <laughs> I don't think it actually was. I will say this. I'm not including when the title belt was defended in the Rumble itself. That that would be a trick question. And I Good. am including universal titles, world titles, whatever you oh. got. Just oh, any okay. of those. that does make this a little more complicated. Um, I will say this. Only six matches ever have gone over 24 minutes at the Royal Rumble. Yeah, that's believable. I mean, you just don't usually have that kind of you usually just don't get that kind of ring time because you have the 60 minute royal rumble um i don't think you would be asking me this if this was actually the longest title match in royal rumble history it's not think of what it would be i mean a couple different options here it could be another match that felt like it went forever was triple h versus Shawn michaels in the last man standing match but i don't think that was 28 minutes um John Cena versus AJ Styles was definitely a long match. But That's true. I don't know if that was the longest. I'm going to say AJ Styles versus John Cena was longer, but I don't think that I'm, I got a bad feeling that's not right, but I'm blanking on what else it would be. John Cena versus AJ Styles went 22 minutes and 47 uh-huh. seconds. Okay. Um this is not the longest. The longest is actually the following year Undertaker versus Bret Hart goes 28-31. Oh, my God. I forgot about that. That match is horrible. Yep. Uh, some other notables. Uh, third place is Triple H versus Cactus Jack at that's a, that's Royal Rumble 2000. One. That's 26-55. Wow. Uh, Angle versus Triple H at uh, Royal oh, Rumble 2000. Yeah, well, that one was bad. Uh, Triple H versus Shawn Michaels was actually only 23-05, but it feels much longer than that. It's actually four seconds less than John Cena versus Umaga. Ooh, forgot about that one. That was awesome. Uh, then we go Roman Reigns versus Kevin Owens, 24-55. How on earth? That's on the same show. Wait, which Roman Reigns versus Kevin Owens? They fought at the Rumble like six different times. Uh, this is the last man standing one for the Universal title. 
That was the year that Edge won the Royal Rumble. I was going to say, yeah, they fought at the Royal Rumble many, yeah. many times over the years. Next is Daniel Bryan beating AJ. Uh, and then after that, and I just think this is fun, uh, The Rock versus CM Punk at 23 minutes and 20 seconds. <laughs> Man, Rock had some big game lungs back then. Sure did. Oh, man. Backstage, Pam is changing and Pettengill is still in her dressing room like a pervert. She knows what she's doing when she asks him to get her purse and she's like hanging around the side of the screen. She knows. Man. Um, then we go to Stephanie Wyand who interviews Bob Holly and the one, two, three kid. <laughs> and the screen overflows with charisma and bursts my eyeballs. Bob compares him and Kid to the San Diego Chargers, who are about to play the San Francisco 49ers in the Super Bowl and get their get, asses kicked in one of the about to get, blowouts in Super Bowl history. Of all the years that I've been on this earth, I've never seen a more one-sided football game in my entire life. Like there is, I've seen a lot of teams lose by a lot of points, but I've never felt like the other team had no fucking business being there like I did that one. That 49ers team was a juggernaut. Fucking Steve Young, Jerry Rice, and Deion Sanders. Deion. It's a a fucking joke. Yeah, up against who was on the Chargers? Stan Humphreys. Stan Humphreys was their quarterback, yeah. Natron Means. God. First teams to ever get to the Super Bowl. Yep. Oh, man. Um... Then we've got a WWF tag title match as the Million Dollar Corporation of Tatanka and Bam Bam Bigelow take on the One Two Three Kid and Bob Holly for the vacant titles. Woof! This is where we are. This is ooh. this is the finals of a tournament to crown new champions after Diesel and Michaels vacated the titles after Survivor Series. Here are those other teams. Men on a Mission, The Head Shrinkers, Owen Hart and Jim Neidhart, The Heavenly Bodies, The Bushwhackers, and Well Done. Well Done. Timothy Well and Steve Dunn. That is your tag division, ladies and gentlemen. Yikes. Well Done. (laughs) Oh, words that Vince McMahon's father never said to him. (laughs) Probably where that team came from. Woof. Uh, the heels control the majority of the match. Holly finally manages to tag in the kid. He hits Bam Bam with a missile drop kick. He hits Tatanka with a front flip plancha down to the floor. He then hits a crossbody on the top on Bam Bam, but Tatanka breaks it up. Tatanka accidentally hits Bam Bam, and Kid covers him for the win. A shocking upset. This is... I mean, it's not a particularly compelling match. The one, two, three kid is like shockingly over. Like, I don't, I think that's kind of lost to history is like what a star he had become at this point. Yeah. I mean, in the course of uh, trying to think he beat Razor in the spring of 93. So, you know, year and a half, he's become a mega star. Like, of course he's too small that like Vince is never going to actually push him for real. So like he has... A limit on what you can realistically do with him, but the fans are with him all the way, no matter what he does. Yeah, he's had his, he had his awesome match with Bret Hart in the summer of '94. 
Oh man. The one with like the greatest wrestling gif of all time where like kid arm drags him and Brett goes, huh? huh. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't know he could do that. That one little thing put kid over more than any other thing anyone ever did. Bam Bam is going around the ring yelling at the fans and then he spots LT laughing at him in the front row. LT offers Bam Bam a handshake and Bam Bam legitimately shoves him back into the third row. I assume somebody smartened up LT that like, hey, he's going to like fucking hit you. Like he's going to because like but like LT's reaction when he comes back is very much one of I'm going to fucking kill you. Yeah, he's being held back. I couldn't I can't recall who this is. This Arnold Skolin holding him back. I can't remember who this is. It's somebody with like a super deep Long Island accent because like the last thing you hear as it goes to black is that guy's crazy. (laughs) Oh man. Uh, A couple rumble promos. We hear from Shawn Michaels and he promises to win. And then we hear from Lex Luger and he says this year he'll win with no controversy. I don't, I don't think that's enough promos. There should have been more. We should have heard from the Bulldog that he's going to win because he's bizarre. I'm about to say, <laughs> I'm going to win because I'm bizarre. <laughs> I'm looking up, I'm literally looking through the list of people oh, in God. Who, right now. Who would you have given a promo to? I, I tell you what, I'm just going to list people and you stop me when you want to hear them talk, okay? Yeah. Eli Blue, Duke Drosy, Jimmy Del Rey. Sion, Tom Pritchard, Doink the Clown, Quang, Rick Martell. Rick Martell, baby, although what the fuck? I didn't know he was still around in 1995. Me either. Owen Hart absolutely should have had a Rumble promo. Yeah, he's going to do what his brother Brett couldn't do last year and win the Royal Rumble, undisputed with no controversy. And I won't continue because, like, I, I want to leave some surprises for when we go through this because it only this gets is worse. Unquestionably, the weakest Rumble field in history. Luckily, they know it because all these jabronis have like a combined five minutes in the match. We should also note that they reduced the time between entrance to one minute this year. It's usually nine seconds. One minute flies by. Guys are barely getting to the ring before the next entrant. It's also wild. Like, there's no music. So, yep. like, fans have no fucking idea who's coming out until they're inside the ring. So they're getting no reactions. You don't know who half these people are, period. I don't think – I don't – they didn't explain at any point, like, why they didn't have music on the show. But I bet half these people they don't even did. have they music. Never had, they never had. But this is – I think next year is the first year they had music for the Rumble. It had always been like this. Yeah. It feels so so stupid. It's so much less entertaining without the music. But like, at least Vince must have looked at this booking sheet and been like, we're going to have to move this one along. Yeah. (laughs) We're going to keep this one moving. The premise, this premise could not sustain itself for an hour with these guys in there. There's there. It seems like there could have been a genuine chance that this could have been the last year of the Royal Rumble because like, this sucks. <laughs> All right. Shawn Michaels is out number one. British Bulldog out number two. They're basically the only two stars in the match. So let's get them out there early. Makes sense to me. It feels like these two have a ton of history, but they don't. 
which is kind of weird. Sean did beat Bulldog for the Intercontinental title all the way back in 92. Yeah. It just feels like these guys always orbited each other, but yeah. this is really the only time they ever do anything. <laughs> they they fight on like an in your house later. Number three is one of the blue blue brothers. I didn't this the, the Harris brothers, but with a mountain man gimmick. I didn't All right. didn't pay attention to which one this was. Entrant number three, a neo Nazi. We're doing great. <laughs> number four, Duke the Dumpster Droze. Wrestling garbage man. I don't think we've ever done a show with Duke the Dumpster before. I wish I had more to say about him. And I, I'm going to be totally honest. Like as a kid, He was actually an okay wrestler. As a kid, there are some gimmicks on this show that, like, I would, I will have to admit to you that I genuinely liked as a kid because I was 10. And, like, I thought some stuff. Duke the Dumpster Trosi was fucking awesome to me when I was a kid. Same with Repo Man. They will always have a place in my heart. <laughs> Just little scumbags scurrying about. Number five, Gigolo Jimmy Del Rey of the Heavenly Bodies. Gigolo Jimmy Del Rey. I love that in the middle of the new generation when all they're doing is promoting to kids, they're allowed to have a guy on the show <laughs> called Gigolo Jimmy. Probably. Be, did Vince know what gigolos were? I don't know. Vince never hung out with Studio 54 back in the day. I mean, that is a good question. Uh, number six is the Barbarian, but for some reason he's called Sioni. Like, look, what is going you got, on? You've got so little name value on this show. You really want to call this guy something other than the barbarian. At least people know who that is. That's so bizarre. I have no idea why. And on something to wrestle with, when Conrad asked Bruce why, he didn't know. Like, maybe barbarian asked to be changed to that. Maybe, but when he went to WCW, he went back to being the barbarian. Well, here's the thing. That's his actual name. Barbarian? Like, no, Sione. That's his <laughs> real name. Oh yeah, sure. But like, why? But they never let people call themselves by their real name. Oh. Well, except the next guy, Doctor well, Tom Pritchard. Well, yeah. I mean, that's because everyone loves him so much. Everybody loves him. You know, you would ta- you would take a bullet for Tom. You would put one in Bruce. I think. Uh, what was it? Simon Dean who came up with that? Nova. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Have there ever been two brothers in wrestling who got like a more different reception than Bruce and Tom Pritchard? I'm actually wondering if there have been two brothers in wrestling who were both liked. And I'm trying. It's usually one, but not the other. I mean, Owen and Brett, Jacques and everybody seems to like Raymond Rougeau. Nobody likes fucking Jacques Rougeau. I mean. I would say the Hardys, but really nobody does like Matt, do nobody they? Nobody likes Matt. Yeah. <laughs> nobody actually <laughs> likes Matt Hardy. Um, that's a good question. Maybe the Steiners, if anybody actually did like either one of those guys. Like I'm not really sure. Those guys. Yeah, this is like, tough. Oddly, Scott Steiner seems like he's emerging as the more normal of the two. Finding out that Scott Steiner was the nice Steiner was yeah. a, a weird moment in my adult life. Uh, what do you make of the heavenly bodies? It's just, it is their, bod- the their most... bodies aren't very heavenly to me. It, well, I think that's I, the joke. I think that's the joke. This is like if Memphis were an alien planet, <laughs> these would be like emissaries from that alien planet to be like this. Here's some Memphis shit, baby. When we're in the ring, it's Memphis time. <laughs> 
across the galaxies of space, Memphis begins to emerge. <laughs> Gigolo Jimmy Del Rey, Dr. Tom Pritchard, the heavenly bodies. A terrifying B-movie that would scare me to this day. <laughs> the entire, like, everything about Smoky Mountain Wrestling is bizarre, but the WWF working with the most Southern, like, Vince supposedly hates Southern wrestling, and he brings in Jim Cornette and Jerry Jarrett to help him, and Bruce Pritchard. Yep. And then he goes down to Smoky Mountain and plays a heel on there for fun. Like, what? Yeah. I don't think he does hate it. I think, yeah. I bet you he loved that shit when he was growing up in North Carolina. Oh, it's self-low then. Yeah, it's him not wanting to be, you know, a Rube Southerner anymore. He was down there rooting for Dusty Rhodes and shit. <laughs> Number eight, Doink the Clown. Not the good one. Matt Bourne is gone by now. Well... We're we're still in Memphis territory. We're still we're still on the yeah. planet of the Memphis. We got a wrestling clown. It is so bizarre to me that so many people, like that Bruce Pritchard and like seemingly other people in wrestling, thought that Doink the Clown was even even the the original version that like that was a big time star. That there was really something there. Like to hear them be like the greatest heel in the world is yeah. a, a mean clown. What the fuck are you talking about? Like you can't put this person on TV and have anyone take it seriously. They it's were just, having him work with Brett right after he debuted. He was yep. wrestling Brett, the world champion on house shows. He's fucking doing the clown. They were asking people to spend their hard earned money to watch Bret Hart wrestle a clown. <laughs> and, I be, and I bet the matches kicked ass because, yeah, Matt Bourne was a good wrestler. Yeah. And, like, they were – that character was a lot of fun and it was interesting. But it was interesting in a way that had no real legs to it. It, it wasn't going to go anywhere. Speaking of guys who aren't going to go anywhere, number nine is Quang. Quang? Quang. I think it's Quang. I, th- I think it's Quang. Um, this is Savio Vega. Under a mask as a Chinese person? He's Chinese, yeah. Like, I feel like because it's such a no-brainer, sometimes we give WWE, like, an implicit pass on the racism it's shown over the years. Yeah. But, like, the number of times they've been like, oh, you're a brown person. Now you're this other kind of brown person, because we say so, is fucking crazy. Again, look at who's doing the creative here. I know. But, like... it wouldn't even occur to most racists to be like, oh, we'll just have the Puerto Rican be the Chinese guy. <laughs> what the number, fuck do you mean? Number 10 is Rick Martel. As Again, he walks Rick through the Rick Martel in 1995. God, how old would he have been at that point? I don't know, actually. Because, I mean, he started early because, like, he, he started back in the 70s, right? So he was born in 56, so he's 39? Yeah, looks great. Yeah, he looks fantastic. He was one of those guys who always stayed in shape. I mean, even when he showed up in WCW in 1998, he was in great shape. They should have just brought him in. They could have used a guy like him. Yeah, I mean, I'm surprised he ended up in WCW. The WWF definitely could have used him back then. For sure. Number 11 is Owen Hart, but he's attacked by Brett on his way to the ring. Also, I don't think anyone has been eliminated yet. 
Yep. But when Owen finally gets in the ring, he's immediately dumped by Bulldog. That was hilarious. It was hilarious. But if you have Very this sad. little talent, yeah. are you? Re- why are we throwing out the only guy who can work? It's, I didn't catch who, but someone eliminates Duke Rose. Uh, it was Shawn Michaels. And then everybody starts getting eliminated. Sione eliminates Martel. Michaels dumps Pritchard. Doink is eliminated by Quang. And Sione and the Blue Brother both go over. So we're down to just Michaels and Bulldog, the two guys who started the match. It's so funny because we've seen the same spot in other Royal Rumble matches. But at this point, it's only been like 18 minutes. Like, it's not. Oh, it's been like barely the, 10 minutes. There's one minute. Yeah. It's been like eight minutes. Two guys they, started and it's one minute per entrant after that. But they're doing the thing where they're treating it like these yeah. guys are both like totally winded and stuff. It's like, guys, come eight on. Minutes. Yeah, 10 minutes tops. Number 12 is Luke. He's immediately eliminated by the Bulldog. Yep. The other blue brother is number 14. He's immediately eliminated by Sean. A ton of people lasted less than a minute in this match. Like probably six of the entrants were out in less than a minute. Oh yeah. We got a, let's see, three seconds, 23 seconds, 12 seconds, 17 seconds, three seconds, 19 seconds. Sixteen other, seconds. Other than Owen, they're all jabronis. Yes. I actually appreciate that. This yeah. run in the middle where they're like, we got nobody to fill this out. We're going to send jabronis and have them immediately get eliminated. I'm actually fine with that. Like, that's the best use of this time. Number 15 is King Kong Bundy. Then Mo of Men on a Mission is number 16. He is eliminated like the second he steps in the ring by Bundy. Yeah, they list this as three seconds. I think yeah. this is actually the quickest elimination in this Royal was, Rumble. This history. was like one second. Yeah, like literally, like he's not even all the way in. <laughs> 17 is Mabel. Him and Bundy fight. We got the big boys going at it. Yay. 18 is Butch. Last less than 30 seconds. Yep. And Mabel eliminates Bundy. It's an interesting decision that they make. To have Sean be the one getting the vast majority of eliminations. I know they're pushing him at WrestleMania. Yeah. But doesn't it feel like that should be Bulldog getting these? Yeah, probably. And Michaels should just skin his way through it. Yeah. Number 19 is Lex Luger. He actually gets a pop. People are just desperate to see someone credible in this Yeah, I, I know who that is. <laughs> he eliminates Mabel. Who's next, Steve? Who's next? The Mantar. 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 <laughs> this motherfucker does not get eliminated in 10 seconds, and no. that's a crime. He's in he's for in like 10 minutes. He's in until the end game. Yeah. <laughs> Conceivably, also, there was somebody in the audience who thought he might win. <laughs> we're 20 entrants in, and the match has gone 18 minutes. Less than the less minutes than entrance. Yeah. What are we doing? <laughs> Aldo Montoya, the Portuguese man of war, is number 21. He goes fucking 13 minutes. It's just incredible under a mask. He's not very incredible at all. 22 is Henry Godwin. 23 is Billy Gunn. Bart Gunn is number 24. Incredible that the tag team partners drew drew back-to-back numbers. 
I feel like at this point, Pat's like booking this thing and he's just like, fine, I don't fucking care. He's just going down an alphabetical list. Like, for what do we do? For what? Actually, yeah, next is Bob Backlund, number 25. (laughs) It's literally just alphabetical. Um, He gets in the ring and gets attacked by, well, he gets attacked by Brett before he can get in the ring. And then as soon as he gets in the ring, Lex Luger throws him out. Fucking Brett's just uh, like beating the shit out of all of his enemies outside the ring right now. I love that. I loved that. Just Brett being out of control and jumping these guys in the aisle. I love it. Brett just being like, "Fuck this! I'm not playing by the rules anymore." Um, number twenty six is Steve Dunn of Well Done. He's the Dunn part. <laughs> yeah. All right, number twenty seven. Might be the most shocking entrant in Royal Rumble history. We can we can debate that. Certainly the most unexpected, I think, would be fair to say. Dick Murdoch, Captain Redneck. Like, not only is it shocking that Dick Murdoch shows up in this Royal Rumble, it's shocking that he is like 15, 49 years old. Yep, he died uh, 18 months after this. He's in horrifyingly bad shape. He's so fat. Remember how washed he was when we did those 1989 WCW shows? Yes. This is six years later. And he hasn't done anything in between at all. No, clearly no cardio and no setups. He wasn't even doing like UWF shows where they were putting everybody on that shit. Like, (laughs) I can't imagine. Actually, Dick Murdoch in the UWF sounds like the most interesting thing. But also, this guy is like one of the most famous weirdo racist assholes in the history of the business. Literally a card-carrying member of the Ku Klux Klan. And here he comes, while strutting his shit down the aisle. I This is a hard one to wrap my head around. I think the year after this, Dory Funk was in the Royal Rumble. Junior, I mean, not senior, thankfully. I, that one almost makes a little more sense, because like, at least Dory Funk's like a legend who did something. Like, Dick, Mur- Dick Murdoch was a tag team champion with uh, with adorable Adrian Adonis. Yeah, listen, this this Royal Rumble, I, I I feel comfortable saying, has the highest percentage of potential domestic terrorists <laughs> to to entrance in the history of the Royal Rumble. Yeah, we didn't play a game. Where was this person on January sixth, twenty twenty one? There's some wrestling. Oh. There's some wrestling shows where we should do that. Oh my god, that's the new Royal Rumble tradition. <laughs> oh man, um, Adam Bomb is number twenty eight. Got the Bomb Squad behind him. I was a huge member of the Bomb you Squad. Were the Bomb as a kid. Squad. I was in the Bomb Squad. I had the pair of the goggles. Did you have the diesel black glove? Were they they weren't selling those yet, I don't think. No, they weren't. And I wasn't like huge into diesel. Like I, diesel wasn't my dude. I was way more into razor. Number 29 is Fatu as Mantar is eliminated by Luger. I feel like Rikishi is in somewhere between 27 and 30 of every Royal Rumble. Yeah, he always comes in at the end. He does nothing. He just nope. is always there. And number 30 is Crush. That's perfectly fine for Crush. Both members of Chronic coming here in here at the end. Oh, yeah, we do have Chronic in the ring. Look at that. We sure do. 
All right, so to reset, we've got a full ring. We've got Michaels, Bulldog, Luger, Crush, Adam Bomb, Murdoch, Steve Dunn, Aldo Montoya, Henry Godwin, and Sione. That is 10 dudes in here. They didn't have time to eliminate anybody because it's only been 28 minutes. Yep, that sounds about right. Awful, awful. Uh, Steve Dunn is the first one out. Then Adam Bomb. Montoya is dumped by Sean. Fatu is eliminated by Crush. And then Murdoch breaks out a drop kick. Pretty good one. Got some hype. If Dusty Rhodes has the annual drop kick, this is the bicentennial. <laughs> the decade, yeah. yeah. Oh, and then he does an airplane spin on Henry, but he gets dizzy and falls over the top rope. That was funny. Honestly, like his he run good. In this is good. Yeah. Yeah. Is he, man, is this the first legend entrant? I'm trying to remember if they had done this before this. I don't think it had really occurred to them to try before, but like. Yeah. Depending on course, how you felt about Backlund the first time he did it. Yeah. Now this is like the basis of the match is what legends are they going to get for this thing? It's so interesting to look at the how the Rumble has changed over the years and realize that now it's just a spot spectacle. Like, yeah. you don't give a fuck about what they actually do in the ring. It doesn't make any difference whatsoever. It's just about, like, who's coming out next? Okay, now that they're out, we're just going to sit and wait. Yeah, Maybe what's, the Kofi, what's the Kofi spot? And then uh, who's going to win? And that's all that yeah. matters. <laughs> um. So we're down to five. We've got Henry Godwin, Luger, Michaels, Bulldog, and Crush. Godwin is eliminated by Bulldog, and Crush and Michaels combine to eliminate Luger. Michaels proposes to Crush that they team up to eliminate Bulldog. Bulldog manages to eliminate Crush, and we're back down to Sean and Bulldog, the two guys who started the match. The crowd pops big when it comes down yeah. to just those two. Like they, they've never done. This is obviously like a a thing that we've seen a million times now. But like, they, yeah, they've never time, seen this before. First time this had happened. First time it's, two it's, guys had run the gauntlet. It is cool. Uh, Bulldog clotheslines Michaels over the top, and they play Bulldog's music. He climbs up the turnbuckle to celebrate. Very sloppy of the guy working the music to do that before the referee called for the bell. I do Very love that though, because like that's the cue to the fans that like, oh, that I guess it's official. Out. So yeah. they go nuts, and then when Sean comes in, you can hear people screaming like, "Bulldog, no!" Yeah, yeah, we see Sean just fly in from off camera and you know double axe handle Bulldog and knock him over the top rope. Now, here's the funny thing. The year before they had done the thing where, like, both guys yeah. hit at the same time. But they've never really, really established the one the two, foot the both, down. The both feet have touched the floor. I don't think they'd ever done that before. I don't think they'd ever talked about it. I don't think anybody had ever gone over the top and, like, had one foot on the floor. This is a Sean innovation. And unbelievably, he pulled it off. Like he is swinging and like the foot somehow the foot never touches. It's inches from the ground at one point. Literally, like apparently backstage, they asked him like, so how are we going to do this to make sure you don't touch? And he's just like, don't worry about it. I won't like, do I, it. Yeah. Can you <laughs> yeah, imagine 
how good a guy has to be for you to just be like, all right, well, <laughs> he says he's going to do it. Remember the story about how he couldn't hit the moonsault on Undertaker on the way into the WrestleMania match? And then when they were going out, the referee asked him, like, so what are you going to do if you miss the moonsault? And he was like, I won't miss it. And he didn't. This is the thing, is that I don't even know that there's, like, a wor- like words to fully express, but there's just big game players, man. Some yeah. people. Yeah. Sean does it when the lights are on. Yeah. Some people just aren't good until the lights are on, you know? Some guys need that. There are always those guys in sports who like, oh yeah, that dude sucked in practice, but in the games he kicked ass. It's just so funny that for two years in a row, they roll the dice on their best performers to be like, if they fuck this up, it literally ruins WrestleMania. Yeah, would totally expose the business if Sean's foot hurt, hit. And like for two years in a row, Brett and Sean both flawlessly like make it look easy. Yeah, this to me remains one of the most iconic spots in Royal Rumble history. Like this changed the Royal Rumble. Like the one foot hitting the floor rule makes it so much better because then it just grows so big. The the variety of things you can do before everyone just went out exactly the same way. Yeah. Now there are options, right? Now it becomes like like a game. Yeah, and there have been some lame ones where, like, somebody's butt is on the floor, but, like, their feet didn't touch. That's stupid. Yeah, I feel I, I understand that it's both feet touch the floor, but, like, like if most of your body is on the floor, that should, yeah, it should just be like, it's like in the NFL, the butt being down is the same as two feet. But, like, obviously, like, the Kofi spots have, like, invigorated so many Royal Rumbles. John Morrison's done a bunch. The other thing, too, is that, like, we've seen a million people skin the cat over the years. This is the most iconic version yeah. of that. This, like, is, this basically invented it. Yeah, this is why everyone for 10 years after that did that in every fucking match. Like, this is so cool. Me, as a 10-year-old, I thought Shawn Michaels was such a despicable yeah. piece of shit who cheated his fucking oh, ass off. And this is such bullshit. His foot clearly touches the floor. This is preposterous. British, I Bulldog, British Bulldog should be going to WrestleMania to wrestle Diesel. The funny thing is, I did not like the British Bulldog either. But I, I just... Sucks. I just found it so unbelievable that everyone was just like, well, he only touched one foot. He touched a foot! When was that a rule before? What are you talking about? <laughs> the funny thing is, I swear to God, they had never talked about needing for both feet to touch. They'd always just said, if you're thrown over the top of the floor, you're eliminated. We're still at a point. Howard Finkel does not tell us the rules to this match before the match starts. No, There's no, now, now they literally list them all off so everyone knows exactly what's going on, even though it's not even necessary. But back here, Finkel tells you nothing. You would have thought they would have emphasized the both feet touch the floor, but they don't. So I guess I forgot to mention, I guess Pamela Anderson was sitting at ringside this entire time. Yeah, she comes out right before the match and she like walks around uh, looking very good. Like that woman in the 90s for sure. Uh, And then she comes into the ring because they have agreed that she will accompany to the ring the winner of the Royal Rumble at WrestleMania. That is important at WrestleMania, but since we're not covering that here, the real uh, ac- actually she fucking betrays him. <laughs> yeah, she actually comes to the ring with Diesel, and uh, I think Sean has Jenny McCarthy's Jenny McCarthy, yeah. ass. Oh yeah, 
Um, so it's clear that Pam wants nothing to do with Sean. For whatever reason, Meltzer didn't understand this and buried this. He said she almost ruined the show by the fact that she was laughing at Shawn Michaels. That was that was obviously the storyline that she thought Sean was a dumbass. They had been playing it up through the show. Yeah, that she thought all of these guys were lame dumbasses who she could just like take advantage of because they're idiots. And especially Sean, she thought was cheesy as hell. But like, man, Dave Meltzer does not understand women <laughs> or stories a lot. Yeah, there's just something there with that guy where I don't, I don't know what it is, but it feels like sometimes things just don't register with him the way they obviously should. And then he gets mad about it. He's just like, this is bullshit. She almost ruined the show. Settle down, buddy. It was like, Dave, <laughs> she, like he's a heel. Of course she thinks he's shit. Also, like she's really good here. Like she is absolutely doing the perfect version of this character. Yeah. As Bruce revealed, the WWF was asked if they wanted to have their guys on Baywatch, and they asked Baywatch for money for it. Which, I mean, makes sense, but at the same time, it's pretty wild. It's exposure. That was one of the biggest shows on network TV at the time. Have you ever seen the episode of Baywatch that has the WCW guys? Oh, of course I have. Yeah, that's what I thought. Uh, it's terrible. Oh, it's so bad. <laughs> it's maybe the worst episode of that show. And right. that was a horrible show. Real bad. I don't think I ever saw The Rock's Baywatch. I don't think I ever did either. I saw his uh, Deep Space Nine. Huh. All right, so wrap for this show. Uh, the Rumble match was pretty bad. I thought the undercard was pretty good, though. I Look... Uh, Aside from this being a delirious fever dream sending me back to my childhood, which apparently took place on the far-off planet of Memphis, uh, I enjoyed the shit out of this show. Like, this was really good. The WWE Championship match on this was fucking incredible for a Royal Rumble. This almost certainly the best Royal Rumble match to date, um, though it would later be topped, certainly. I just like this show up and down. Like, th- there's there's an air to it that I like. And I don't know if that's just because I grew up on it or what, but like, it just feels comfortable to me. Oh yeah. And Meltzer said this was the best WWF pay-per-view in years. Which is weird. WrestleMania 10? certainly right. God, I hated WrestleMania 10. WrestleMania 10? You didn't like Sean versus Razor in the no, ladder it, match and Brett has, versus Owen? It has two great matches. And the Little Richard? Has. No, I the did rest, not like Little the rest Richard. of it was not very good. Yeah. Tell me the main event of that show. What was it? Uh, Brett Yoko with Piper as the referee. And it sucked. Yeah. You know. <laughs> oh, man. All right. So that's a wrap for the Rumble 95. Next time, we'll jump forward five years to a very different place. Um, cover the Royal Rumble 2000. Featuring the epic Triple H Cactus Jack street fight. It's funny. We're jumping from like the height of your fandom to the height of mine. This is actually fantastic. Um, This is, was for a long time, I think my favorite WWE match. Yeah. Um, I, I look forward to sharing an anecdote of how I once showed it in a class as an example of what wrestling was. Um, But this is, it's also, I think, uh, the best juxtaposition ever in the history of the Royal Rumble, 
where the undercard was actually so much better than the Rumble itself. It was ridiculous. This is the worst Royal Rumble. One this of the is week, the definitely one of the weakest Royal Rumble matches ever. I hate it so much. Just way too predictable, this one. But like, also, like, the fucking tables match between the Hardy Boys and the Dudleys, the first one, the first yeah. tag team tables match ever in WWE, that's That here. was a wild match the first time. Jericho versus China and Hardcore Holly? Sure. Oh, man. All right. So, yeah, we'll have all that more next time on the Lawcast. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again next time.